to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting on a Wednesday night slash Thursday morning, whenever you're listening to this. Happy Halloween for some of you. Uh, if you're getting this super quick, uh, it's almost Halloween. Close enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I doubt you're celebrating in the morning of the 31st if you're listening to this, but <laughs> they were celebrating in West Virginia on Wednesday night. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's a week-long celebration, isn't it, for many people? I think it depends. It's it's kind of like a singular night, but, you know, in my, in my younger days, it would be kind of a, a weekend thing. You'd yeah. extend it. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. When you were fun, you mean. When I was fun? Are you saying I'm not fun anymore? Oh, you're fun in a different way. Oh, you made it just so definitive. It seems very black and white you, when you were fun. So now it would be the opposite of fun. And I'm now, I'm just this to you. That's it. No, you're plenty fun, John. Okay. Well, maybe I'll dress up as a, something fun tomorrow just for you, Way. I'm, I'm looking you, forward to it. Did you see Tony Khan's Halloween costume? No, I did not. What was it? I feel, do, do you have your browser open? Yes, I do. Okay, go to Instagram and go to Tony Khan's Instagram page. Okay, Tony Khan Instagram. I'm assuming that's where I saw it. I, I, I like to do the uh, the dramatic reveal so we get ways uh, true. Oh action. my god, this is wonderful! He dressed up as Orange Cassidy. Pretty bang on too. Got the t-shirt. God, he took like a lot of photos here. His dad was there at the show tonight. Shad Khan himself yeah. in West Virginia. What what do you think about the? Uh, he did a pretty good job. You can see he clearly grew out. Like th this is more than just five o'clock shadow. That's like two days worth easy. Did a great job. Um, I think he's got the de demeanor down. It actually is not that difficult. I would say of a costume to pull off. Uh, so there's an idea. Don't don't you have a a denim jacket like that? I do. I think everyone maybe does. I yeah. don't actually, but it's probably not the hardest one to. Uh, to acquire it's the light it's the faded jeans like that was a look a long long time ago i don't i don't notice too many people with that faded a style of jeans anymore so maybe those would be kind of the accessory to have to go out and find uh, on top of the the custom tee some people can make w it work yeah i would imagine there's a pro wrestling company out of chicago that could probably help tony khan secure one of those shirts i would think so as well yeah or maybe orange cassidy himself Yep. These are the costumes to do. These are these are cheap. They should be yeah. – look at all this stuff they could be selling. I wonder if they are selling all this stuff at AEW shows like jackets, shades. Sh shades, I mean, for sure. I I don't know if they're doing that yet, but if they aren't, I'm sure they would sell plenty if they had them uh, available. Jackets, um, I guess would be a little bit – I mean, that's a really a question for Scrump, isn't it? Yeah, I mean WWE has that deal now with the those chalk line jackets, so they're they're getting into the jacket biz. Chalk line jackets? What's that? The the ones with like the the classic. Oh, uh, okay, okay. You know, you you see millions of people wearing these at wrestling events and yes. stuff. They're, I guess the uh, the in thing. 
All right. On, on wrestling fashion, which is still the podcast I'm waiting for WH to maybe that'll be the follow up after Liger. It'll be uh I don't know. We could come up with a really clever name for WH's uh fashion podcast. Some type of yeah. Some yeah. Sure. How was your Wednesday? Uh fine, yeah. I mean just, you know, dealing with cable companies, that's always fun. Oh. Um so yeah, it was okay. Yours? How are the cable companies? Are they are they doing well? They they still uh, profitable they're, and helpful uh, as always. Yeah, they're as shitty as ever to deal with. So great, that's awesome. Yep, nothing's changed. Did you did you, was there ever a, a threat of a jumping ship anywhere else? Because that that's always my go to. That I I love to play that game. Oh, always. Actually, I was about to before the company that I was about to jump to realized that they didn't have the proper infrastructure to carry out their offer that they. Uh, gave me so poor uh, technician had to go back home and then that kind of left me with having to make a bunch of phone calls to try to get my old deal back uh with my other company it's just (laughs) not fun do you remember that day you were over here at my house and rogers called and sold me on this deal and of course when they pitch it to you it's uh you're actually going to be paying less and you're going to get all this this extra shit. It's like it's the it's the over the top pitch that I'm always skeptical of because it's the they're inferring that if you say no, you're telling me you're an idiot. Like who would not take this deal? So, I took the deal and then that deal overrode my previous deal. So when I found out my internet now uh I wasn't getting the discount anymore and they said, "Oh, well you accepted this new deal." So it eliminated your past discount before anyway had to battle with them to get my discount back it's always a fight with these people terrible oh i I, just it's just i always picture them hanging up and it's just 85 of them and they're all just howling and another sucker we got him that's what i i just i always imagine so it's like where how can i how can i override the system that's that's me versus cable companies um, it's very difficult. Okay. We'll move on. I understand. Uh, we have lots coming up, uh, this week, but I want to mention again, Thursday, for those of you that are used to hanging out at 3 PM with us, well, we're going to be a little delayed on Thursday. We are going to be doing a live hangout Thursday night, 11 PM Eastern time. And we are going to be going through the crown jewel event. And then we're opening up the phone lines Thursday night. After you get home from trick-or-treating, this is where you want to be. 11 p.m. listening to a wrestling podcast live. Perfect timing, I think. 11 o'clock? What else are you doing at 11 o'clock on a Thursday? On a Thursday night at Halloween. It's like, you know, you got to work the next day. Do you really want to be out that late? No, you want to come home and you want to hear us uh, go through all of the, the latest wrestling news and then call in. Maybe if you're if you're out trick or treating, we'd love to hear Halloween stories on Thursday night. What did you get up to? Sure, yeah. What best, are you dressed up as? Yep, best costumes that you might have seen that day. What candies you're giving out? Yeah, maybe people can tweet us their uh, their Halloween costumes. All topics that I'm perhaps a bit more interested in than this actual crown jewel event. So entertain us. Yes, let's uh let's make the best of uh of what is coming up. So that's on Thursday, and then. Uh, it's a, it's a crazy Thursday is a nutty day. It starts off with the WWE investors call in the morning and their quarterly earnings release. 
Then we go into Crown Jewel for who knows how many hours. It's scheduled to go till at least uh, 4.30 on the guide. And then after that, uh, you've got all the ratings coming in on Thursday. We're doing the show Thursday night. And then we're into SmackDown Friday night, UFC on Saturday night. There's a New Japan show in there on Sunday morning. MLW's got a pay-per-view. Uh, it's uh, It's another crazy weekend coming up. All right. So lots to look forward to. Let's get into the news. Uh, I guess the the most notable thing today is that the WWE held a uh, a media event early on Wednesday, announcing Natalia and Lacey Evans for Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Stephanie McMahon went out and did a a number of interviews, uh, trumpeting this uh this historic match for the company and. We are getting the the first women's match. Was this surprising to you, Way, or did you kind of see where the last show back in June, when they had gone to the extent of flying Natalia and Alexa Bliss over, that it seemed that things were at least there was the possibility of them wrestling. It didn't happen, but it felt like well, this is inevitably going to happen. It is just a question of when they get the green light, and apparently they got the green light here. Um, not in time though to promote this on TV though. No, no. Um, but I, I, I expected it. Uh, at least, if not for this show, then uh, a show upcoming. I, I think, I think I would be a lot more excited if we haven't already maybe gone through the whole. <laughs> I guess I don't know education of of really what this whole event is, and I think if maybe this company wasn't so apt to use events like this to really hit you over the head with how progressive it is. Um, and I just, that's sort of the, the, the PR storm I'm not looking forward to, even though I think you can look at something like this as a real, really, you know, real, um, achievement, I would say for, for their relationship in Saudi Arabia. Um, certainly I think there's merit to that, but at the same time, I just, I expect this to be just in many ways, overblown and exaggerated as some sort of triumph for or justification for for these shows happening in the first place, which I I can't fully still like process or or get behind. Yeah, I mean it's I mean to me it is a it's a win win for both parties here. This is uh, presented as an enormous achievement by WWE that they will certainly uh, promote heavily uh, going in and coming out of this. And I think this is the exact kind of image that Saudi Arabia wants to have to this audience as well. And I'd really recommend people check out this uh, new documentary that HBO has just put out. It's called Saudi Women's Driving School. And it's an interesting documentary where um, I believe it's a UK-based director was able to get a visa to go shoot in Saudi Arabia. And this is not something that's very easy to do, but it was such a narrow subject of women that have been able to acquire driving licenses um, since the the ban was removed last year. And they're expecting by next year over 3 million women to have driving licenses in the country. And it's, it's presented from the point of view of women, um, some of whom, you know, stated like, Women were driving beforehand, but it was certainly not um, not prevalent. And also looking at the fact that the initial women that were very much pushing for this change, as well as 
affecting change with the guardianship laws that are in Saudi Arabia. Uh, those women that were – they were labeled traitors in the press and jailed um, before the, the government was able to make the decision on their own. And this follows with um, relaxing some of the guardianship restrictions last summer as well that allow women that are over the age of 21 that can now travel without the permission of uh, of their husband. But also kind of outlining still this is not a – uh, this is by far not a perfect system at all, but you also get to hear from these women in Saudi Arabia that also talk about, you know, just the the perception of themselves and, you know, it's for many of them, this is the culture they know. And there are some uh, some harrowing exchanges by this one female who is an Uber driver and she is having these conversations with male passengers that are kind of put off by the fact that female is their Uber driver and she engages with them in conversation. And it's not so much that these men she speaks with are trying to be malicious or cruel, but you see like just their thinking that women, they have been brought up that women are, you know, the inferior sex. They need to be protected by the male. And they're very concerned about, well, we allow you to drive. What next? Women are very emotional. They won't be able to just be satisfied with this. And anyway, it's it's an interesting documentary. And just to see that kind of um, access in, in Saudi Arabia seems pretty rare. Anyway, it's a documentary that just came out over the last week, I believe. So it's, a, it's an interesting look at at least one portion of Saudi Arabian culture among females. Sounds cool. I'll check it out. Um, so we'll probably talk a, a lot more about that show on Thursday night. Uh, let's look at the raw number from Monday night. This one, so we had no baseball on Monday night, and this seemed to be, well, where where are things going to be? And they had, you would think, the benefit of going against what ended up being the least watched Monday night football game this season. Um, the Monday night football game was under 10 million viewers, and raw did 2,133,000 viewers, which is their third lowest number of the year. And more notable is the fact that that third hour dropped uh, by a pretty sizable amount. This was one of the lowest fourth hours of the year. I think it was the fourth lowest final hour uh, this year, which would, again, we don't have the quarter hour breakdown, so it's kind of hard to look at exactly what kind of drop there was and where in the third hour, but from this perspective, looking at the breakdown of the three hours that people were not sticking around for the Rusev and Lana angle, in particular, female viewers. When you look at just the female viewership and how they tuned out during the show, it was pretty dramatic decreases over the course of the show among women 18 to 49 and 12 to 34. So it would suggest that that angle at the end, um, you know, there, there was a big tune out factor for yeah, and if you're Rusev, you're probably breathing a bit of a sigh of relief seeing some of these ratings. Hopefully it means mm, that I can't say that they won't continue doing more of it, but at least they won't necessarily feature it in the main event because it didn't seem to be successful. But on the YouTube side of things, of course, there it drew a great deal of interest. And for that reason alone, I feel they would consider this somewhat of a of a success, um, you know, spe the spectacle. Um, 
this just seems like one of those angles. They they are not going to drop. I think that they're going to continue with this. Um, but we'll we'll see what the what the trend is. Um, I can't just see them dropping it cold. I don't I don't think it was such a well. It, it, this is definitely a failure. Like this this Monday's Raw, it should not have been this low. They did better numbers weeks ago when they were going against the baseball playoffs. Like they have had significantly larger competition and drawn much better than this. Like, as I said, only two episodes of raw this year did lower. And you would not think that would necessarily be happening on a week when there was less competition and a lower watched football game. So I think, I think, you know, sometimes we look at it and it's, well, it's given all the factors you can get, get a silver lining from. I don't see much of a silver lining to this week's number falling to this, to this degree. Do you think do you, do you place the blame on the divorce court being the headlining, uh, um, I guess, act, or do you think it's it's the brand split? What are what are the leading factors in your mind? I I think that there there is certainly the argument. If you want to make the argument that the brand split was a poor idea, I think that there's a lot of evidence to back that up. If if you wanted to redo this brand split. You can see the long-term ideas of having two separate rosters. That does make some sense. But really, you look at, well, we get two draft episodes out of it. And we can look at that. Those draft numbers didn't come through. The concept did not work for people. And now you have half the stars on each show. And I think we're seeing that on Raw. Raw's in a rebuilding phase. SmackDown, it's, it's having its issues. But the star power is down in a company that doesn't have a whole slew of stars at the moment. So I think they have somewhat handicapped themselves and that's being reflected now that we are past the novelty of the, the premiere week and launching on Fox and the draft specials and our Steve Austin appearances, all of that's over. Now we are left with the main stage players that we have every week to work with. And that's, that's a tough ask of people, especially on the three hour show. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the trend is. Certainly, um, the number, I think, for SmackDown this Friday will be really interesting, seeing them bounce back. Um, and as well, to see whether or not Monday recovers from from what this was. Wednesday, maybe we should mention for this particular uh, edition of AEW and also NXT, they're, go- they're going up against the uh, Game 7 of the World Series. Yeah, this I, I think both shows are going to get hit big from that game tonight. Yeah, so, I think so as well. Yeah, there was a... Uh... There was quite a bit of competition tonight. I mean, you have NBA games and the big one being uh, Game 7 of the World Series. So I am not expecting uh, either show to be up this week. They should probably both take noticeable hits uh, coming out of tonight's game. Um, WWE is also promoting a, a big guest for next week's official launch of Backstage on FS1. I don't know who this is, but I will say if this ends up being CM Punk they would be crazy not to promote this ahead of time. Sure. Yeah, I guess so. I I don't I don't think it will be. I mean, him in a guesting role versus I think what they initially wanted, which was uh an analyst role. I suppose those two things are 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 pretty interchangeable in in some Or ways. could it be that he you promote this and he's on the show and then you make the announcement? I guess. I guess in my mind I I still don't really hold that much I think, um, I don't know. Who, who could be such a big guest uh, taking Punk out of the equation that would warrant this kind of uh, promotion uh, to tease the the big guest? 
Keeping in mind the last time we had the big tease of a big announcement on backstage, it was Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross for two future draft picks. So, yeah, it could be that. It could be... One of the draft picks could show up. Yeah, it could be Kevin Owens. The future picks. It could be Jinder Mahal. Or it could be Vince. You know, that would certainly be a big get. Um, I don't know why he... Well, on his own show is where I could see him opening himself to a line of questioning. But could be Stephanie, um, Triple H... By the way, did you did you have a chance to listen to the uh, Corey Graves podcast? Because I haven't yet. I listened to the Seth Rollins interview and I listened to the Triple H interview. Uh, nothing about Jordan Miles, as I, I think everyone probably could have reasonably expected. The, I, I have nothing against uh, this, this kind of a show, but it is kind of painful when they are literally th- there is nothing less edgy than a show that is telling you how edgy they are like it's just the constant are we going to get fired for this am i going to be back next week remember that he literally says you know that list of topics we're not allowed to talk about in wwe we're going to ignore them it's just god why say that stuff when there's obviously uh, this week of all weeks topics you are not going to touch at all and it's just to me wwe I, i was talking to a friend of mine this week like there is Great content you can create with a WWE podcast with their resources that doesn't have to be the, oh, my God, we're shooting, bro. Like that to me is why you can't do it. You don't need to do it. So don't e- don't even play that way. Um, anyway. So what did they talk about? Hunter, it was all your standard stuff you would expect about Kane Velasquez coming in, Tyson Fury coming in. NXT being its own standalone brand, um, the idea that, you know, he talked about the, uh, you know, their long-term plan of having territories in Mexico and Japan and talent that if they get stale one place, they can move it to the next. Um, Was there anything remotely controversial? With Hunter? No, no. There was, there was okay. nothing in and, there. And with, with Rollins? With Rollins, it was interesting. If this guy is not turning... He's certainly doing an awful job of how he is just communicating to his fan base. He is on the phone and he is talking about how, you know, not only Corey brings up the fact that, you know, it's just like, oh, evil Twitter. Twitter's just the worst. And how Tyler Black was an Internet darling once upon a time. And Seth jumps in. He says, forget Tyler Black. I was one of their favorites like six months ago. I don't know what happened. Now they're all against me. And it's like, man, like I, and a lot of it focuses on the hell in a cell. And does he not remember his own tweets? No, I guess not. And he then talks about like the, the comment about Kenny Omega and the minor leagues from that comic convention last week. And he said, well, if I put over Kenny Omega and say he's a great wrestler, no one runs with that. That's not a great headline. So I, I have fun with it and said, go to the minor leagues. And, uh, and everyone, you know, makes, uh, it becomes a big thing. And it's, I don't know. Like part of me always tries to get into the mindset that here is somebody that, I mean, come on. Seth Rollins has to be as frustrated as anyone with some of the direction he has had to go in over these past number of months where he is now getting soundly booed. He's in a position where that guy should be the top baby face and was the top baby face for a period this year and before that. And it's just this last six weeks have been 
anything but. And yeah, he just, I, I don't know. It just comes across very, very much so of just, well, the fans, they're just, they just complain about everything. It's like, nah, they, they really don't. Like you're in a real shitty storyline coming off a really shitty match. And I don't see what, what kind of reaction you could expect from your, your audience. I just, I really hate all this just, you know, bow at the altar of the our, our great profession and how dare thee criticize the product. It's like, it's, you're in a crappy angle right now. And six months from now, when this angle's over, you're going to do an interview and talk about how frustrated you were during this period and had to get through it. And people will understand. And then you, you go through it. But at this point, I guess he's, I just put on the uh, the brave face. Any other uh, top stories? Um, no, that's all. I thought maybe after the show we could maybe uh, touch on impact. And uh, did did you see any of uh, the Tuesday night offerings? I did. Yeah, I saw. Okay, well, let's and- maybe uh, let, let's chat a bit about that at the end of uh, Dynamite. We'll get into the review right now. Uh, sure. Because I saw, I saw Impact and I saw Power, but I did not see. Uh, AEW Dark. These Tuesdays are just, it's too much already. It is. Before we do that, uh, we forgot to do this last week because oh, we had our yes. contest. But uh, this week, of course, we give out a t-shirt to every single, uh, every single week, we give out a t-shirt to a lucky patron of the Post Wrestling Cafe, which is our Patreon, patreon.com slash postwrestling. And you get a t-shirt from store.postwrestling.com. So, John, without further ado... The winner is. Alrighty, congratulations to Ryan Ryan Quaglia from Toronto, Ontario, and I think oh, I think I a very close, very close location to where where you and I are. So this will be a really easy one to deliver. Oh my god, is he going to get a live meet and greet with Waiting? I mean, not necessarily. I'm very okay. busy these days, but uh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe you can send uh, one of our interns. Yes, congratulations, Ryan. You win a t-shirt from the Post Wrestling Store, store.postwrestling.com. Check it out for uh, all of our merchandising. All right, uh, let's get into Dynamite from Wednesday night, Charleston, West Virginia at the Charleston Coliseum. Tony Schiavone is outside of a plane, and Dustin Rhodes and Cody exit the plane, and then Cody walks off with Tony because he's preparing for the big contract signing tonight. And Cody jokes, isn't that the old saying? It's just another match. And wise Tony says, well, Cody, that's the old cliche, but we both know it's not just another match. And Cody looks at him and says, I know. And I have discovered that Tony Schiavone and Cody as Uncle Ben and Peter Parker is my favorite combination here. You think Tony's Uncle Ben? Yeah. So he's going to die and motivate Cody? I thought that's where we were going during this uh, inner circle angle. Jake Hager is going to low blow the man to death, unfortunately, hmm. in the middle of the street. I didn't really so, so see it so much as a mentor type of relationship as, as much as it was like, you know, I, I think... Uh, Somebody who's known his family for a long time and can comment on the legacy. But I love the presentation of this whole thing. It felt so classic. It felt like Cody playing like an old school NWA champion, getting out of a plane, you know, getting a special interview with an announcer in a limo. I think despite like 
even like content aside from what they're actually talking about here, just the visual of all this made Cody look like a real star. He was yes. booking himself to look like the show's top star. He's not. It's not Kenny. It's not Moxley. It's Cody. And I think Cody is the right guy for this particular role. He's the most capable for this type of push. I certainly can't see Moxley being given the you know limousine interview nor Kenny. But Cody, it fits with him perfectly. And to me, this this feels just like an ultimate expression of I think the character he should be in AEW. Yeah, this this was Starcade ninety three. The mm-hmm. same setup of Gene Okerlund going to Flair's home, meeting with the family. I think the first time Ashley was ever on camera was that that Starcade. And you just throughout the night, it's the two in the limo on their way to the building for the match with Vader. And I think that's that was very much the vibe I got from this with a. I thought Shivani was so awesome uh, in this role mm-hmm. where, you know, he's kind of like Cody's, like th- this living link to his father yep. and playing like, I, I did get kind of like this, this moral support mentorship in the limo where Shivani is just playing like his, his uncle. Sure. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Uncle who remembers. I mean, I would say Dusty really would be Cody's Uncle Ben, you know, if we're going to make that analogy. And maybe Tony Schiavone would be, you know, Uncle Ben's best friend. See, I see um, maybe Dustin is more like um, uh, uh, the the best friend. Harry? The the guy in oh, the... Oh, uh, uh, Ned. Ned, yeah. He's the guy in the chair? Maybe that's ultimately Dustin's role is Ned. <laughs> Mm, yeah okay then we go into these highlights including a closed door meeting between john moxley and the voice of tony khan making his vocal debut on dynamite and this is moxley learning that his match with kenny omega is going to be a lights out unsanctioned match at full gear and moxley is pissed because that means this won't count on their records and it's as if the match won't happen. And he calls Omega Khan's boy. And what he does to Omega is going to be on Tony's hands. And Tony is just saying, like, dude, it's like totally going to be a four and a quarter star match. It's going to be so cool. <laughs> this was like, um, so Tony Khan has said he he would not appear on screen, on camera, within the body of AWS, any sort of authority figure. So I guess this was their kind of attempt at, you know, doing an angle like this, but not necessarily showing Tony Khan. And I found it interesting. You know, it was cool. It was, I mean, he's almost like, um, <laughs> he's becoming like the George Steinbrenner from Seinfeld of uh, of AEW. So um, it works. It works. It's They're in a position where everyone knows Tony Khan is running this thing. So it's very hard to have a surrogate in place of Tony Khan. But it's like if you don't know who Tony Khan is and you're just watching this, like it sounds like John Moxley is there it arguing with like a kid. Well, yeah, I mean he is. That's who it is though. He's he, not a kid though. Uh, yeah, but, but he it sounds like a kid. He looks he like sounds younger than he is. Yeah. So yeah, I, I am I would say in certain scenarios they may have to do something like this, but I, I really don't think Tony Khan should be featured on the broadcast, it, or at yeah. least in very, very limited, important 
roles. I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider moments. You're right. Yeah, and I don't think this was a feature. I think this was their best attempt at getting away from something like that. And obviously, it doesn't rely on Tony Khan to act, which I I have a feeling would be absolutely painful, and he he would probably say so as well. Um, and just really pokes put, puts the bulk of the of the performance on Moxley himself. I think there's actually something cool to like, you know, just the hearing with the interaction in there, so that you can, you know, it's like I it, like the subtitles. I thought that yeah. was a good way to go about this. Yeah, so you can just imagine like how Moxley's expressions without actually having to see it, which would, you know, p- potentially make it way cornier. Than how and also always out. acknowledging the camera, like the camera's yes. outside, you're eavesdropping and even Moxley knocks the camera away as he walks out. So it's not as though we, again, it's understanding there is a cameraman here shooting this. And and the subtitles really are necessary because I think if it, if it was just audio, wouldn't really work so well, I would say for live TV, especially, you know, like they love, they love to put these clips on the internet as well, like on their Twitter accounts, the, the subtitles certainly help. Um, and because they pre-tape a lot of this and are have kind of established that you know willingness willingness to use subtitles, it's not something I can ever see WWE doing because they like to treat everything that they do live as as if it's live and without subs. Jim Ross and Excalibur open the show because Tony Schiavone is on assignment, as we had seen. He's on his way to the building with Cody, and Excalibur promotes that tonight Rick and Morty will be appearing. And then Jim Ross pivots to the unsanctioned stipulation for full gear. And we've got the ring uh, made up with uh, Rick and Morty uh, logos and advertisements. And so this was the first example of TNT using one of their, you know, uh, using Dynamite to promote another property. Uh, How would you say overall this was integrated into the show? Because they certainly incorporated quite a lot of rick and morty into the show it definitely i think bordered on like there being a little bit too much by the end of it but i think overall it was a positive because as much as it was like you know tnt get or or rick and morty getting type you know advertising through aew i think it was advertising for aew as well in that it presents can can these guys effectively promote one of our you know important products yep Yep. and to me i know this might have been over the top but i almost think like this was their first opportunity at doing this and they they had to make themselves um well you know they had to to hit this hard we've seen them like you know do something similar with cracker barrel and i think that was actually that one was done to great effect you know um making it entertaining while at the same time not really hiding the fact that they're trying to advertise something to their audience either and i felt it felt it very much the same way here where the incorporation of rick and morty was done in you know comedy spots typically that you wouldn't like they wouldn't do it in the main event of the show is what I I'm trying to say. Um, they kept those things separate and they made it entertaining. And I think it, you know, the crossover of the audiences is really interesting because it tells you TNT sees this as very much the same demographic as what Rick and Morty might, might attract. And I would assume I'm not a Rick and Morty fan myself, but I would assume that demographic to be relatively young, certainly younger than, you know, maybe a traditional professional, uh, like a a raw or SmackDown or NXT audience, if we're judging by demographics. So I think it, it, it tells the world that, Hey, if you like Rick and Morty, you might like this. It makes AEW feel like it's for young, young people. If you love Rick and Morty coming up later, we've got the best of both worlds because Ricky Morton is on the show. They, you know, Excalibur made that um, comparison. Like, asked Jr. if you ever thought you'd be on the same show 
with Rick and Morty and Ricky Morton. I didn't even think about that connection. Wow. Our opening match saw Sammy Guevara take on Hangman Page, and Jim Ross compares Guevara to a young Eddie Guerrero as he's shooting a selfie video of himself inside the ring while Hangman comes out. Can you imagine and- Eddie Guerrero in like, I guess like, you know, with modern social media? Like if he and like Art Bar had like their Latin lover gimmicks like now? Oh man, could you imagine Eddie on Twitter? Like after, oh god, he storms out after a, you know, he's pissed after a match, like after that one night stand show with Benoit, and then he goes on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be bad news. Man, I, I, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see too many people from the past on Twitter, but it would be fun for like one night to give Twitter to everyone in 1997 and just see what we would get that night. Um. Trying to think what what a great combination would be. Like well, Sid, Sid on Twitter, I think would be tremendous. Love that. I mean, he's on Twitter now. He's all. He's not all that. I, I mean, I guess you know, Sid in his prime. Yeah, if he was young and actively participating. Yeah, um, his, his avatar is just like a baseball bat. You type in caps and then like small case caps and then small case just alternate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the match begins. Crowd's really behind uh, Hangman and booing Guevara. Uh, Guevara did this backflip over Page and a dropkick Page. Crowd's chanting, Sammy sucks. Crossbody gets caught and Page hits a fallaway slam and a kip up. Page then got yanked off the apron, lands on his back and gets run into the guardrail. Then they're back into the ring. Guevara runs at him and is slammed onto the edge of the apron. Page then lands the top rope moonsault to the floor, places chanting loud for him. And Guevara then slides away from the buckshot lariat. Hangman then back body drops him to the edge and, or sorry, Hangman gets sent over to the edge while Guevara runs the ropes and right into a buckshot lariat. Eight minutes, nine seconds. Page gets the victory and then afterwards cut a promo. But how did you feel the uh, the match kicked off the show? Strong opening match, I thought. You know, there's a lot of pressure, I think, for any match that kicks the show off because... Um, you're having to entertain an audience for a, a national audience for 20 straight minutes, 15, 20 straight minutes without a commercial interruption. And you're having to go up against, you know, stiff competition on the other channel. So I thought these two delivered Guevara, I think plays such a natural bratty young heel with just excellent. I would say heel charisma. And to did me, you see his interview last week on the Bellator show? Oh God, I did. That was, <laughs> I have oh mixed God. feelings about it, honestly. I I didn't like it that much. I thought they came across too like they were cutting a promo for this kind of show, and in that setting, I thought they came off really cartoonish. And you know, you've got Guevara like literally lifting his shirt up, showing off his abs. Like if you know these guys, it's entertaining. But if you're not, I think you just look at these three and they're like clowns. I think it's the type of promo that would like make an anti like an MMA fan who really was not a fan of, of pro wrestling to just further groan at it at the reinforces same reinforces their yeah. prior convictions at the same time though like let's say they just did a straight up like you know hockey player type of interview that wouldn't have been effective either right there's a happy medium though in between that right i thought the win was like you know really good simple focus for page gave him a a strong victory and then gave him the spotlight to cut a big promo it's something that i've seen aew employ like on a number of their shows thus far where you follow the simple formula of showcasing the person doing well in the ring, and then you give them mic time because by this point you've had the audience's attention after delivering a great performance. 
Page said that things have not been going well, but tonight felt good. And at full gear, he's going to take Pac's head off. Yeah. 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 They're telling the whole crowd starts chanting cowboy shit. Yes. Which is a lovely chant. They're telling a story with Page on BTE where they're teasing a heel turn due to, you know, implied jealousy that he might have against the rest of the elite who have all become EVPs and they have their own dressing rooms. Meanwhile, Page, you know, had his chance at perhaps, you know, a a bigger glory, but lost it against Jericho, lost against Pac, of course. So he's kind of like on the uh, on the outs and harboring these, you know, uh, this, this, these feelings of resentment that I think he's playing really well. So it's a storyline that's organic, that's very believable for Paige and gives him way more depth of character. So I think it really is going to be what we're seeing right now, the start of Paige's ascent to the main event. Despite him like headlining their last pay-per-view, I think most would agree that he really didn't feel like he was ready for the spot. This is a storyline that could potentially get him up there. It's a, not, uh, you know, it's a story that... Uh, is relatable that the audience could really sink their teeth into and allows Paige to wrestle like he's pissed off, which makes him that much more fun to watch. We've got another EVP, evil, <laughs> vile Paige. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and then he high fived the Incredible Hulk in the front row. There were some costumes. Yep. Uh, this is when we went to our first commercial break. So we went about 18 minutes here and. They just showed highlights of the last match, the Rock and Roll Express meeting Private Party backstage. I wish I got to hear what they were saying to each other. Uh, maybe they were talking about uh, some vodka crayons for later. Making plans. Hmm. Interesting. Then we had a women's match with Shanna coming out, introduced as Portugal's perfect athlete. Um, Shanna, which th- these are really great for Excalibur, who gives the mini bio on these women and Shanna's competed for stardom in the past with Eve, uh, WSU and got her own entrance here. And, and then it's followed by uh, Hikaru Shida who has just moved to the U S full time. And as the match begins, I criticized impact for this. So AEW is going to get the same here. We got the hashtag Shida versus Shaza. As someone thought Ooh. that Shazza McKenzie was mysteriously uh, <laughs> taking over the body of Shanna, and this was very well noted online, um, that they had the wrong woman identified in the hashtag. Is Shazza McKenzie with no anybody? She's <laughs> um, not with AEW. Jeez, yeah. Well, so that was a... Uh, a misfire. Maybe this person was reading her name like sideways, or maybe somebody hand wrote it. And then had really bad handwriting that was slanted. So, <laughs> I don't know. That's All I know is I now want to see a mixed tag with Shazza Marafugi somewhere <laughs> in this uh, pro wrestling world. Yeah, she could take on Carolina. Yeah, which it seems like they are identifying her now as Carolina on the website. and So, it is Carolina? Well, we're not sure because there were definitely – like her name is Catalina and – she was identified as Catalina calling. on, yes, the, the announcers. So that's going to be a question. The next broadcast, we'll know for sure what her name is. It seems like there was definitely miscommunication on what this woman's name is going to be. You know, at some point, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll just all go by symbols. She's going to come out next week as Karen. Karen, yes, yes. 
So this was interesting. This was set up, and you think this is just going to be a showcase for Sheeta, and they end up going almost 11 minutes. Um, Sheeta catches her with a knee on the apron and then set up a chair on the floor, jumped off the chair into a knee strike, and Ross is saying that was a very generous count by referee Paul Turner while the women were on the floor for a while. Said maybe he still shook up from John Moxley's attack last week. Thought that was okay. covering your bases. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's knees to the body of Sheeta, and then we went to a commercial break, and I thought that was a really uh, daring move to do a commercial break with these two. I did not see this one going as long as it did. Right, right, yeah. You mean the length of this match was was a risk. Yeah, I could certainly see a lot of people being, you know, flipping out uh, or f- flipping over during this match. Have so, they have they given the indication that they are booking to make sure that you don't? Oh well, yeah, I guess they have. You know, I was going to say, have they given the indication that they they are booking to make sure that you don't change the channel? Well, it's it's been interesting because um, Dave Meltzer is getting the like quarter hour breakdowns, and he's been able to like outline this that especially the Matches that have two commercial breaks are there, there's typically a much higher tune out when you have the multiple commercial breaks. Um, but I have to imagine, and also there was people tuning out a few weeks ago when Santana and Ortiz did that quick squash match. So hmm. th- this one was interesting because this really was designed for Hikaru Shida, but they packaged this like a full match. Like they gave Shanna her entrance. They did not do this match in two minutes, and I just don't know how well this will perform. But during the break, Shanna hit an Angel's Wings for a two-count, and then we get into these near falls, and the crowd was with these near falls. They were reacting pretty loud by the final couple of minutes here. Uh, we saw Sheeta hit uh, her version of the Dude Buster, and then we go into more near falls. There was a Falcon Arrow for a two-count by Sheeta, and then she won with the Shining Wizard in 10 minutes and 45 seconds. Um I thought this was long. I think that these two, it was um, a lot to ask of these two, but um, ultimately did either stand out for you? You know, um, I think the reaction to Hikaru Shida really stood out to me, despite the fact that I feel like we haven't seen her in many months, but um, it it appears that her her few appearances in AEW have done enough to, you know, make her stand out in the the minds of of this current audience that was there live because they gave her a superstar reaction, I, I thought. But I think it... The layout of the match was a little strange to me because I felt like she started to wrestle as the aggressor and as the heel while they were setting up like Shanna, the unknown for these like comeback spots. And that might have like they booked Shanna like the underdog that, you know, yeah, like you were getting behind. So, you know, it was almost trying to train the audience to cheer for Shanna instead of chanting for chanting for Sheeta, which I found odd. Uh, And even while like Sheeta was in control. You know, I I expected a bit more from her here. To me, the offense looked a little bit sloppy. Her big moves, I guess, you know, were moves, but I think the overall pacing was just a, a little bit jerky and awkward. So I I was it was a bit a bit below my expectations, but obviously good enough potential from both women. I actually thought Shanna looked to me the better one of the two. That's my perspective, though. Yeah, uh, I I thought it picked up by the end, but I thought they. they... It took a while to get there, and I just I, I would definitely just question going this long and breaking this one up with a commercial. I don't think it this match overall by the end of it necessitated that length that you had to go to a commercial over. 
Then they recap Brandy going after Jamie Hayter last week, and we get this pre-produced package where she's putting on a black veil, and she's got these photos of the various women in the division, and she is summoning her monster through voodoo or something as Kong is coming to life. And Excalibur summed this up best by saying, we have more questions than answers. This was very strange. It was a really good looking, like well-produced series of like shots, uh, really well-produced, really slick looking promo. But I think much like last week's attack, it feels like it really came out of nowhere, especially for Brandy's character thus far. Um, it feels like they're trying to like do a bit of a reset for her coming off of like what we've seen previously with her. Basically, This is like a hard reset. Like she yeah. was just in well, Cody's she... corner a few weeks ago. Yes. And it's it's a character that's, you know, there's no real explanation for this. And I think everyone sees Brandy as this public face of the company, too. That makes it. it we will see how this progresses. But I think this is a. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks of this it's been a very awkward shift for her i agree i agree um you know i i think brandy being a mouthpiece for kong that there's nothing wrong with that at all uh i I like the fact that they're trying to treat kong as something special but i think i don't know if brandy like i don't know if the rest of this stuff like her attacking from for no reason and then her dressing up in this like uh is it like a was it like a funeral like yeah. Up. Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe it'll all make sense later, but thus far two weeks in, I think, you know, like Excalibur says, more questions than answers. Chris Van Vliet brought out the Rock and Roll Express. They're carrying the AEW tag titles. Huge moment here for the Rock and Roll Express. So much so that Robert Gibson brought to uh, Charleston, West Virginia, his finest hoodie and jeans. <laughs> well, what do you expect these guys in suits? I mean, uh, uh, Ricky had like a like a jacket on, along with his uh, his wrestling school t shirt underneath, a, a, like a, a winter jacket. You mean? Uh, I thought I thought it was like an actual like uh, blazer. I, I'm trying to remember what he was wearing. He was the he was they the better get, dressed listen, of the listen, two, but that's low praise. These dudes have like mullets at, at the age of sixty. Like I don't, I don't know. So with all the bookings pass. these guys have, I mean, man, they should be coming out in Armani suits or something. They These guys are the most in-demand tag act out there. Like a corporation version of the Rock and Roll Express? Yeah, well, we, we did that once with uh, Richard Morton. They said that in this building, they once beat Ole and Arn Anderson. And before they can add anything, they get jumped by Santana and Ortiz. And they get beaten down. Santana's got a loaded sock and it ends with Ricky Morton being powerbombed through the stage as the Young Bucks run out to chase them off. The crowd's chanting rock and roll. And, man, I think uh, Don McClain should have come on the loudspeakers here because the music died way. Oh, yeah. This was the end Very of nice. Ricky and, Ro- and Robert. No, not nothing to follow up with this. They were just done. No presentation of the tag titles. They were just brought in for this attack. Well, thank goodness, because I don't think they would have had time at the end of the show. Probably not, yeah. yeah. I thought this was awesome. I think violence against old people is always really spectacular in wrestling. <laughs> it's very entertaining. So, I, I mean, I thought an excellent way to get heat on Santana and Ortiz and to build to the match with the Bucks, who I think 
I guess I think this is going to get the rock and rolls booked at full gear. Like they'll be there in the Bucks corner or, yes. or show up in some form. Uh, yes, please. Why not? They could still go. And I, I think you know they they're playing off of not only are the Bucks EVPs who you know would have a reason to come out to check on their guests, but I think they're they're kind of playing on the fact that there's always been somewhat somewhat of a, somewhat of an association between the Bucks as like modern day versions of of um of the Rock and Roll Express too. So mm-hmm. I thought I mean this- Matt Matt was even wearing the yeah the their shirt with the word with Young Bucks written on it. It's like a pop famous shirt actually. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a weird and popular shirt. Yeah. Anyway, so simple and well done. I think Ricky Morton is amazing at age 63. Like this dude is taking he like bumps through the stage. He's doing Canadian destroyers at 63. So I I I'd love to see him do a match in AEW. Well, lots more of these guys coming up on on Power. So let me ask you this: If they get a cameo or some appearance at Full Gear, that covers November, December, they're going to be on the NWA pay per view. <laughs> do we go for three way? Yes or no? Russell Kingdom. Rock and Roll Express and the Royal Rumble. Oh my God. Well, you didn't mention the the New Japan stuff that they're they're doing, right? Oh, they did New Japan last month. You're right. So look at the streak they're on. Uh, Rumble. <laughs> I don't know. Do they have reason to to bring them in in there? They're the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> mm, maybe I could see it, it's, it's it. unlike them to book uh you know the Legends cameo as a as a tag team. Yeah, maybe maybe an addition of Table for Three, perhaps. Oh, with. Who, who who could be the most awkward third wheel? Oh, um, like the Miz. <laughs> I think Miz would actually do pretty well with with two of them. Um, they'd probably have somebody like Elias, you know, for the for the music tie in. Um, maybe I would put, um, like Liv Morgan. That might be fun. Yes, sure. That'd be a great conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Shivani is still riding with Cody, um, and this is where Shivani shares a story with Cody that there was a time they were in a hotel together, and Willie Nelson was was there, and Willie Nelson was out by the pool. Uh, they're in Tucson, Arizona, and Dusty asked Tony, is Willie Nelson already out there? And Tony said, yes, and Dusty said, good, because the star always comes out last. And thus, they are making Jericho wait at the arena because Cody is the star. And then Cody starts talking about the match in Baltimore. The judges are out of his control, but said the big thing is his mom is coming to full gear and he really wants to impress her. And he, Shivani gives him some advice. Cody thanks him for the advice, and Shivani's just like, "Oh shucks, I'm not trying to tell you anything. You're the expert." And Cody's like, "Well, you're you're really helping me out here. I mean, these two are awesome. They're I love great. these two together. So good. it's like it is all in the delivery and the chemistry these two have because mm-hmm. this could read very corny, but it's so mm-hmm. good between these two. I love these segments. I thought they were so good. Yeah, I agree with everything you said about Cody. Just felt like such a star on this show and my god is tony shivani just i don't know what the award is but he's winning something at the end of this year no you you know what that is a wonderful observation because like it's not like you would nominate tony shivani for like best on the mic with something like this i guess maybe like best i don't even know if you would you would even nominate him for like best non-wrestling role 
like in many ways you would, but because like the performance does not call for something so grand, like a Paul Heyman, you know, it's, it's a very subdued type of like perfection, I think, you know, and like you said, like excellent chemistry that is very real because Shivani is a guy who's seen this, this kid grow up into the man that he is today. And you can't fake that. You can't write that. You can't script it. Um, I love the organic present conversation that they had in this car. Again, does not feel like they're going through a script. Did not feel like it was, you know, a guy having to like study a, a bunch of lines backstage before being called into a very dark room to, to, to talk. Um, it worked. It tells you like what he's th- got thinking in his mind, and you know, again, took you out of your typical, I guess, wrestling tropey type of uh, settings that that we would usually see promos taking taking place in. I'm very intrigued to see how they treat their first official go home show next week. Like, Mm. I really want to see because I think you're going to get a really hard push for this pay per view and for this main event. And yeah, I'm really interested to see how they handle next week's show. So they're still on the way. And then we get our six man tag QT Marshall, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds are taking on the best friends and Orange Cassidy who are all dressed up as characters from Rick and Morty with Beretta and Chucky playing Rick and Morty. Uh, who Who is Orange Cassidy playing? I'm was not he, a... Was he not the the doctor, the scientist as well? I, I think like so. The two scientists. I'm not the Rick and Morty expert, so Dude, I was... Neither. Okay. <laughs> Please so don't crucify we're... us, everybody. Sorry. I know don't, it's don't a very... Be, don't be ageist against us. It's a very popular show. I understand. Uh, Beretta, uh, so the match begins, Beretta hit this tornado DDT on silver. I thought Beretta looked great in this, uh, this brief match. Just, uh, just all his offense just looked really, really slick. Having to Um, like put that wig back on that stupid mask on. He had to work with as well. Um, but the audience was having a lot of fun with this. He hit the, uh, Taylor hit the Chucky knee to silver. Then they did the, the soul food half and half suplex onto Reynolds. Um, they their wigs had fallen off, so they put the wigs on. They're about to hug, and QT Marshall breaks it up, and the crowd's pissed. So Cassidy comes in, and he does the weak kicks to QT. Every one of them gets a huge reaction, and then he drop kicks Marshall to the floor, kip up, and then uh, they do the three way hug for the biggest pop. And then Cassidy hits a tope suicida with his hands in his pockets. I. If this is this week's outrage, it's like, get out of here. This is so fucking impressive that he does this stuff. Completely. Completely. Um, I'm over I'm over that, like, conversation, man. Come oh, I, that, I'm like, over, like, so many of these. Just this has got to be the this week's example of, um, like, you it, know, who, who's talking about Marco Stunt now? Like, it's, it's over. Exactly. No one cares. The industry's fine. Like, I'm just – I just am so tired of – Every week, one of these, and, and, and I'm just watching this. I'm like, this is going to be a thing for 24 hours, I bet. But but in this, in the context of this match in particular, at what point did like they really break kayfabe with uh, Orange Cassidy's actions? Because it's not it, like it, he, he didn't can't sell, even argue. Like it's not like QT sells the yeah, kicks. Just like the Bucks like, didn't. He was acting like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You were in a match. He didn't sell for it. And what he did sell for was an actual legitimate drop kick, and then you know the 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 no hands uh, plancha, so it was all legitimate. I'll yeah, t- I have to, yeah. Sorry, 
No, oh, I was just going to say, like, th- there are some that, like, will, uh, like characters or styles of matches that they're not my cup of tea, but I can understand that they're popular. I'm not even – like, I enjoy watching this guy, Orange Cassidy. I think he's a lot of fun. Creative. He's in a perfect role. This guy gets over every single time I see him on TV, and I'm I'm really impressed with, like, what he does. I really have to, you know, in, in this context, give – give a lot of credit to Bryce Remsburg as well. Um, again, like what a great pickup because he, I think is integral for some of these comedic gimmicks because of not just because of his familiarity with the, with the um, performers, but also just his sense. So um, Cassidy's glasses, of course, fall off. And as, a, as he's about to do his big pose. And so Remsburg is right there to pick him up and put him back on. And at the end here, I mean, you know, not to sort of spoil the finish, but after the, the, the best friends win, like he's got an act where he tries to lift Cassidy's arms up, but they keep falling back down. So he keeps oh, trying to lift that. them back up. Like that was so great. And, you know, so I, I think as a referee, he is integral for, for these comedy spots. Best friends hit the strong zero and Beretta pin silver three minutes and 14 seconds. So if this wasn't your cup of tea, three minutes and 14 seconds. Really? I, that I, was it? That was it. It was three fourteen. Wow. That surprises me. I, this was to me the the most I've been into a best friends match. I think the cross promotion was ridiculous, but I thought it really fit with the comedic tone of these guys. And you know, it was. It, and, it was if, and if Turner was, if Turner Media was happy with how this came across, then it really doesn't matter if if people felt this was too over the top. Like that was ultimately what this was designed for. And looking at okay, our wrestling show the. It's that much more valuable if we can take this audience and send them elsewhere on our various networks as well. Yes. Now, like, you know, how would you feel if, if let's say, something like this took place in, like, an NWA power? Like this exact kind of thing? Yes, or a similar spot. I think it'd be very different because they have not built that kind of... um that, I think that kind of tone with their programming um, to, to do... This this exact match, complete with the the masks and all that stuff. Um, not saying you can't do it, but I, I think it'd be a harder fit. I think it definitely like it, it. It certainly depends on maybe the tone of the show that you're trying to present, and maybe you know it is something with the AEW where maybe they're giving you conflicting expectations. Where on the one hand they're trying to present to you a very sports like feel with their records and you know this Cody storyline, but on the other hand you're getting comedy in your mid card in the form of Orange Cassidy and then video game stuff in the form of Kenny. So maybe that is a point of contention, but I I contend that that's like right now maybe it's it's what's making AEW feel satisfying because like they said they're trying to present a buffet something like a mixtape you know where you have different genres of the best type of stuff that you might see everywhere and comedy i think happens to be uh certainly it feels like it has a place at least within what AEW has created thus far chris jericho comes out for the contract signing wearing this ridiculous pumpkin jacket what'd you think of the jacket it was pretty ridiculous yeah very loud. So the contract signing is set up at the entrance. They're not inside the ring. And then Shivani and Cody arrive in the limo and they walk out to the ring or out to the, uh, the, the table, the contract signing. And Shivani is the host. And you can hear as Shivani's on the mic, his voice is starting to wear out. And it looks like it caught up with him because the last half hour of this show on commentary, Shivani is a ghost. 
Unless that was his Halloween costume because he is <laughs> gone. He goes to commentary and then you just don't realize it. He's he's silent. So I I'm thinking this guy might have lost his voice. Well, that car ride must have been a really talkative one because I guess he, you know, this was a show where he didn't really have to say a whole lot in the first half. Cody, can you shut up? I've <laughs> got to c- contain my voice for later. I've got a broadcast to do. Jericho signs the contract and then he pretends he's going to tip the table over, but he's only joking. He says this match is too important. It's the biggest match in AEW history, the biggest match of the year and of Cody's career. And if Cody wins, he becomes what he's always wanted to be. The world champion. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> Cody holding the top championship with an organization? I mean, that would be something, wouldn't it? Uh, I can't imagine it because I've never seen it before. So the world of um, ROH and NWA do not exist in their world. No. That's what we have established. He offers his hand to Cody, which I don't agree with, by the way. I think you can still uh, well, build this up in, in the same way that it's becoming the AEW world champion. But I think that you're going to you're gonna catch yourself at some point because there's going to be at some point you're going to have to reference ROH or say that somebody is a former champion here. Mm-hmm. And it's just – I just think it's always easier to just avoid this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's true. You know, um, I, th- I think what they mean – I mean, especially the, the fact that the the NWA title win took place on All In, which I would assume would be a show that That's part of their, their, their world. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Like, there's no excuse for just um, excluding that when it's not like he just won it elsewhere. It was on their own show, their biggest show. I suppose, like, in their mind, if it's not WWE, most people haven't seen it. If it's... I wonder if they would even recognize New Japan at this point. Like they, um, they're they not would. recognizing New Japan because John okay. Moxley has never been identified. But they would call Kenny, you know, maybe f- former world champion. Don't you think? Like they wouldn't say, "Oh, Kenny's never won the big one." Have you heard them say that? I have not. But at the same time, like I feel like they would give their audience a bit more. Um, I don't know. Because uh, I'm sure, like most most of the people watching, uh would consider Kenny, you know, former legitimate world champion. Even well, we'll get a reference to New Japan later in this show. That's true, yeah. Jericho offers his hand to Cody. They shake, and then they pull each other in and have this intense face-off. And Jericho makes the line that Cody probably needs to be somewhere else tonight. And that's, of course, to the story that Cody's got all these things on his plate in addition to preparing for this match while Jericho is just focused on this title defense. And they cut to outside, and Dustin is being attacked by the returning Jake Hager by the limo. And it happened, Way. The dreaded knee to the balls by Jake Hager. Not from the tie clinch, but hit him low. Uh, Jim Ross, the closest we got to the reference was, for those that saw Jake Hager's fight, you know uh, the significance of this. And then he slammed the door onto Dustin's wrist and Cody runs out with MJF, who takes a look into the camera as he just uh, backs up Cody. And the inner circle watches on as Dustin is laying. And Jericho lights up a cigar, and he takes off with his group. Do you think the lack of like reference to Bellator itself is has anything to do with, like, one? Or just they don't want him 
mentioned Bill I Silver think it's probably, this is just me guessing, that it's probably a combination of that, the fact that TNT does have their own MMA promotion that they're, they have promote to promote. And on top of that, they, they may not have access to this footage because I would say that that footage might have been very valuable to air on this show, that here is Jake Hager just kneeing this guy into oblivion in the balls um it's it's yeah. like it's it's if if you watched on friday it was such a lackluster fight and a nothing fight but for jake hager to get him over with what they're doing here i think you could have run this footage to give context to it but uh for whatever reason like they are significantly downplaying uh, ross at least mentioned it but very small you would have missed it if you weren't paying attention. Yeah, for whatever reason, I, I guess they did, didn't go the route of actually showing it. But I think they would assume that you know a lot of its hardcore audience might have heard about it. I, I love the fact that they took advantage of it. It really just like gives something more to Hager for you to dislike. I thought this whole thing was a great follow up to last week's angle. I thought you know last week Cody and his group stood tall, getting the better of uh, the inner circle in the uh, the backstage brawl or the concession brawl. And this week it was Jericho getting his revenge. And in the process, people are getting hurt. This week it was Dustin. And the stakes are raised. I, I feel like they're setting the template of like, you know, the type of logical old school pro wrestling storytelling that I would hope to see for the lifetime of AEW. I would love to see like this very young locker room t- looking at the a story like this with two veterans and thinking about how they would do in a, in a similar setting, in a similar scenario. Jericho was great here. Cody was great as a babyface. And this one, I thought, did a lot for Hager as well. Oh, I forgot one thing to mention. Last week, I I had a tweet during Jake Hager's fight with Anthony Garrett, and something crazy happened. I got a text message compliment from one of the people that is on this show with me. (laughs) Do you remember this? Way went out of his way. To give me props by text message. Well, I I would. I that's that's when I know time. that a line landed. If if that that was worth it, all of it. John does not need me to, um, you know, congratulate him. To, y- to yes, I do. Wait, no, you you, don't. you are like my Tony Shavani. Just oh, uh, you know, I'm reinforcing. Chuckling. You know, I'm chuckling at everything. Uh, but I really love this one. Do you, would you care to repeat it? Uh, I said in the first round, Jake Hager has hit Anthony Garrett several times in his inner circles. Bravo. I think one of your best. Thank you. I almost I was I was ready to retire. I was almost gonna delete Twitter after that. It's like I'm not gonna top this. I got I got the Wei Ting two thumbs up. It's never happened before. It's worth so, being pinned. Yeah, that was your it. account. So um uh, g- good angle here. Um several things where you can come out of this. Um perhaps even doing Hagger, you know, beating Dustin at the pay-per-view or at least on TV, like that's a natural match to go to unless you're going to do an injury with Rhodes having like a broken wrist or something. But um, Balls. Yeah, different different ways you can go here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and continuing that that MJFT is like just coming out and he looked at the ca- – it, it's like he looked straight into the camera almost to know that the camera's on him. And maybe I'm giving them like too much attention to detail, but – I, I really enjoy what they're doing with MJF. It's just like the shadow that's lingering that you don't know when it's going to um, bear. Even if it wasn't necessarily like scripted to, you know, for MJF to have, to have any sort of significant role in this, I think MJF is the type of performer that will look at every, any opportunity 
as a way to, you know, sow the seeds for a bigger character uh, storyline in the future. He he's fantastic. He he um, I did catch uh, his appearance on Dark. He was on a unde- undeniable. What is it? Undesirable to undeniable. Undesirable to undeniable. Uh, and he was fantastic, as you would expect. Oh, yeah. So I, it, I, it's Cody interviewing him. Yes. Yes. OK. It, and it starts off with like MJF kind of being in character, talking about how, you know, I was never undesirable, really, in a pro wrestling setting. Um, but then Cody's like, how about outside of wrestling? And MJF just like gets into this story about how when he was young and tried out for the football team, he was picked on for being Jewish and um, starts like name dropping the name of his bully, like in particular, and just gets bleeped out, of course, to like Cody's like disbelief that <laughs> at MJF's like, you know, lack of tact and just name dropping this guy on, on like a public um, <laughs> video. And then he just talks about how, like, yeah, this guy kind of motivated me, motivated me to, like, go to the gym every day. And now he's a drug addict and I'm a rich, <laughs> rich, handsome uh, athlete. So, yeah, he's great. He's, uh, this guy's great. So he's good. a real tremendous talent. Like, I'm just, I'm blown away by, like, how young this guy is and just how he's just got... All of that well, dude, together. We saw video evidence of this dude at what, like three, being fucking magical, like in front of a camera. So he to, he really does feel like really one of those very very rare talents um, in the industry. It made me uh, uh you just bringing up like uh, the age thing. I had this has never happened to me, but yesterday I was I was writing out something. And it was something about like my age and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I needed like 15 to 20 seconds to really think about how old I am. You ever had that happen? Um, I assume in the future I will have that happen more at the moment. I think, you know, it's, I was slightly concerned. Like I literally for 15 <laughs> seconds that felt very long for the life of me. I could not remember if I'm 35 or 36 and I literally had to go back and do the math in my head. It's kind of 30, easier for 35. us. It's kind of easier for us in particular because we're the same age as WrestleMania in the same like similar month uh, month span as well. So you just have to think like, come that on. That does now. add up, but it's like they've gotten away from the numbers quite a bit. So I even have to like think a bit <laughs> about like which WrestleMania it was this year. Am I and, Fleur Daily de- de- or am I Play Button? Yeah, it's like year. how uh, am I Star? Am I Sun? What am I? I'm the roller coaster. Yeah. So anyway, I'm uh, I'm getting senile is my conclusion. Shivani, uh, oh sorry. Then we have uh, I skipped uh, a number of things here. Okay, so Dustin is is left injured there on the floor, and then we had a six man tag with the Hybrid Two, Jack Evans and Angelico with Kip Sabian against Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Tony Shivani, I think you mean Sans Ryu and Ken John. Oh my God. So Shivani's on commentary, and we go to this, what would you call this, like an 8-bit video game menu for Kenny's entrance? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was like a like a cutscene, or whatever you call it. I think a lot of work went into this. Oh, yeah. It featured Kenny with all of his friends, including the Bucks, Riho, and then a magical uh, best friend appeared next to him, holding... <laughs> Holding uh, the the G one trophy, the G one trophy, yeah. Yes. So he's holding the trophy, and 
So all of a sudden the friend like disappears and this is all with like subtitles as well explaining that the friend was never there to begin with. So it's so, gone forever. So 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 okay, first of all, it's it's apparently a take on an RPG game called Undertale and this was I guess uh I would assume done by the same people that did his like Wrestle Kingdom uh an 8-bit entrance as well. Um and this it it kind of told a story where like the the evil villain talking in the center of this whole thing was a version of the New Japan Pro Wrestling line mark logo shouting at Kenny something about how you you know we are un- inseparable like you thought these guys were your friends even you know Kota Ibushi who you thought was your best friend was not really your friend at all and anyway I'm not really doing it justice go out and seek it it. it veiled references or not so veiled references to Kodo Bushi and New Japan Pro Wrestling in this. Did it work for you? I have no fucking clue what Undertale is, or at least I didn't before this. As I would imagine, 90% of the audience would probably be in that same boat. Perhaps, but if you... But but it doesn't even matter so much as like you can understand what the references were without mm. having to know the the video game uh origin of this of what it was influenced by but it, it was less so about i think references to new japan and koto Ibushi as it was i think kenny omega just wanting to do a really cool cosplay type of thing that was speaking to his audience and if you're part of the 10 percent that did understand you're probably freaking the fuck out at seeing you know such a niche reference that you would never hear people talking about on tv on national tv and I think it's brilliant. I think it's the type of thing that'll draw attention from the key demos that they are very much after. The type of stuff where if you're a fan of this game, you're sending this clip, you're sending this this gift to all of your other friends who play this game who might not watch professional wrestling. It's going to pop up on Reddit, whatever video game Reddit that, that this Undertale thing is. You know, pro wrestler dresses up as our favorite character. Um, it, and it's proof that like a member of their own subculture is doing some really cool shit on a national stage. So I think you have to try new shit to, to to attract a new audience. And I think this was very much on that track. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of those points. But I think like the Kenny Omega character, it's very confusing right now. Like if you want to tell me that this video was designed to push this story that Kenny Omega has this paranoia that all his friends are going to leave him because he's scarred from his. It, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't, John. I, I think. Then what was the point? The point like was it, to make a reference to a video game he really likes, you know? And I, I don't I don't think it, it was meant as anything deeper than that. I don't know if this was necessarily um I don't know. It was and done, it really didn't hit with me. I again, I, I don't think it was done for any type of deeper storyline reason. I think it was done to get people talking and more importantly to try to get a new audience that isn't typically watching AEW wrestling to pay attention. Well, he came out. Who who is he dressed up as here? Character named Sans. Is this from the, this would be from the same game? I would assume. Yes. So he comes out, and he is followed by the Bucks in their Street Fighter costumes to take on Kip Sabian, Evans, and Angelico. And we see Omega in the ring delivering the. Double Kitaro Crusher to Evans and Angelico. Then they triple-teamed Sabian. Evans hit a springboard, spinning roundhouse kick, followed by a Sasuke special onto Omega on the floor. Then they got a hold of uh, Matt as they went through the commercial. Omega gets the hot tag. He hits dragon suplexes to all three. 
who then stagger to their feet, Omega snaps his fingers and they all fall down. Guessing that was part of the video game as well. <laughs> Jim Cornette's definitely not going to. I was like, like maybe maybe Orange Cassidy is not going to be the isolated clip coming out no, of this show. This might have been probably it. not. Evans, uh, I think it was off of and uh, Helico. He moonsaulted off their body to the floor. Um, Evans was pretty great in this match. Uh, Omega then went for a dive that was stopped by Sabian. Sabian teased doing the Terminator pose, but. He flips over and he's caught by Omega and the Bucks and takes an apron bomb. Evans then does a springboard into a triple super kick from Omega and the Bucks. V-trigger, one-winged angel, and Omega pins Jack Evans for the victory. Great energy from the audience and the wrestlers in this match. And overall, I thought it was really fun. I thought Sabian and the Hybrid 2 were playing very effective heels here. This, to me, felt like a, you know, like a... a classic Bucks and Omega match that you would have seen in like PWG or Corcoon Hall, except now it's being presented in front of a, a national audience. So, you know, if you're somebody who might've given this match because you saw Kenny Omega dress up as your favorite video game character, I think it was the best style of match to present to a new fan in order to get them to potentially stick around. And then as the Bucks are on their way back, they are high-fiving the fans and there are two fans with uh, Rick and Morty masks on and they grab hold of the Bucks and it's Santana and Ortiz who attack them and they get chased away by Kenny Omega. And this was our final involvement of Rick and Morty on this show. They gave, well, they gave Rick and Morty a, a whole lot. Um, it, it was almost as if they were out to prove to, to TNT that, hey, we can you know do a lot of fun stuff with, with your properties. And also they gave a lot to Santana and Ortiz on this show, building programs with... I guess the Bucks, really, yeah, putting a lot of heat on that match. Peter Avalon came out. He called the place rotten and says there's a reason that wrestling hasn't coming, come back here uh, since it was actually Nitro in July of 2000, the last time they had a um, a broadcast episode of uh, you know a major promotion here. So he's, uh, he's cutting them down, and John Moxley storms out, paradigm shift to Avalon, He's getting an enormous reaction. He says the match at full gear is now unsanctioned. The fans boo this. They want rules. And he says there's no rules. It doesn't count. And the and AEW is going to pretend it never happened when I beat their boy. And I'm treated like a freak. I'm tired of yes men in suits insulting me, implying that I'm stupid. He says that they can take their win-loss record and shove it up their ass. He's the baddest SOB in this game. No one in AEW is going to prove him wrong. And he's going to beat Omega within an inch of his life. And you are going to get violence you have not seen in this country in decades. And tells the Turner executives and everybody, kiss my ass and stay the hell out of my way. Pretty fiery promo here from uh, John Moxley, who I think this was was your best... uh, at least your closest equivalent to that Nate Diaz promo from last week. Uh, via Twitter, you mean? <laughs> yeah. All Moxley had to say at the end is, y'all on steroids. <laughs> I, I like. I mean, I see this, and you, you have to ask yourself how AEW has been keeping this man from a microphone for the past four or five weeks. I, by far, to me, the best promo on this particular show. If you don't count like the, the press conference stuff, even if you count Jericho and Cody in the press conference, I thought this this beat that. 
you know, um, came out and it was just like a pure, like pissed off ball of energy that just felt so authentic and so smooth. Like I had major Steve Austin vibes with this promo. I, I think the only thing that would have made it even better is if he, let's say like, okay, so the Bucks are brawling with like Santana and Ortiz to the back, leaving Kenny out in the ring after the end of that segment. Kenny's doing his like, you know, video game stuff that I think a lot of people. It, it's might, quite the contrast when you're listening to this promo, okay. thinking of this guy in his, his well, video game. Well, here's the thing. Kenny comes out doing like fucking around doing his video game stuff that 10% of the audience gets. And then here comes John Moxley. You know, paradigm shift. Get you know, all of a sudden, no playing around anymore. And Moxley cuts this promo. I, I, I think that contrast would have actually helped, and would have you know, for for next week, forced Kenny to really take things seriously. It's where, where I say the Omega character has been confusing is that tonight, like it very much plays into what Omega's been doing for the last month or so on being the elite. But that's not what we've seen on TV from Kenny Omega. Like he's been coming out and he's just been, you know, it's it's just regular Kenny Omega. And right. it's not the story of him like having like fucking around and being out of his mind. Like that has not been the televised character of Kenny Omega. This guy's been having these excellent matches with Joey Janela. He was on a bit of a losing streak, but it like tonight you did see that divide, but that's not mm-hmm. really been the story. If you're just watching the TV, I, I totally understand. And I, I, I actually agree with that. And I think that's where you really kind of see the difference in maybe storytelling between Somebody like Cody, who, you know, you can tell very much has a mind for, I think, more traditional, long-form storytelling. And I think Kenny does as well, but except, like, he seems a lot more impulsive with just what he thinks might be cool for that particular week. Whether it be him trying to, you know, do a heel promo, or doing a video game character, or coming out with a broom with barbed wire on it. Um, I can I can definitely understand the criticism. But, I mean, again, look at the reaction, though. This crowd goes nuts for him either way. I suppose the bigger question is, you know, how you feel, how you feel at home. Yeah, but I, I thought this promo was awesome from Moxley. Again, it was just uh, tremendous, tremendous. I think, um, you know, in terms of a non-wrestling segment, one of one of the best things I've seen of him since since leaving earlier mm-hmm. this year. Like somebody great. who should be talking way more. Yes, yeah. Like you were saying, like Cody feels like just this huge star. It's like to me, Moxley and Cody. It was like neck and neck of like the top baby face. And we talk about, you know, how, Oh, it's just tough getting baby faces over. It's like, man, you've, you've got a lot of baby faces on this show that are over right now. You could argue you have between the bucks, Omega, Cody and Moxley. That's a pretty solid core of baby faces that are over at a top, top level. Mm -hmm. Main event. Uh, it's only 15 minutes to go in the show and it's the finals of the tag title tournament. They're already in the ring. Justin Roberts just does a great introduction here. When this guy rolls those R's, I love it. Or when he like um, digs into those J's. Yeah. <laughs> He's good with those. And Ray Phoenix. I like him. I like they him. literally told him in WWE to stop doing all that stuff. Really? Like, oh, they told him stop rolling R's. And like they wanted him as... Just generic. They didn't want any fluctuation in his delivery. They didn't want any focus on him. He writes about this in his book and how frustrating it was for him that like that was kind of, you know, you're you're an in-ring announcer. You've got your style. It makes these guys feel important. Um, that being the performers. Like I um 
anyway, it's, yeah. you know, something that he had to contend with um, as well. It just seems here. It's like, dude, go out and do your thing. So we start uh, both teams really over getting dueling chance and Kazarian landed this leaping leg drop off the middle rope. Then they get the uh, advantage on, on Phoenix Phoenix uh, used the Greco-Roman knuckle lock, scaled to the top, did a jump off the middle rope, top rope, and then dove off. Just an awesome sequence. Phoenix, I mean, the consecutive streak of just tremendous performances continued here. Pentagon held Kazarian on his knees on the floor as Phoenix flew over the top into a flying leg drop onto the floor that made me wince in pain as he landed. Uh, We went through the break with the uh, picture-in-picture. Lucha Brothers take over with Kazarian in. Sky gets the tag, hit the Topicon Hero onto Pentagon, and then Kazarian went for a Hurricane Rana off the top turnbuckle, and he rotated, so he crashes on the edge of the apron and just looked like he was in so much pain from this. What I liked about that was that JR didn't really try to protect, like, Kaz. Like, he just straight up said, oh, he probably took the worst of that one. Yeah. You know, rather than say something like, oh, Phoenix must have blocked it. Like, this was Kaz, the, the person doing the move, fucking up, and you really couldn't hide it. And that happens in, in real sports. So, yeah. Uh, Phoenix came off the ropes, hit a Canadian Destroyer onto Kazarian. Then there was a handspring cutter onto Sky from Phoenix. Then Kazarian gets caught and powerbombed through a table on the floor. Phoenix comes off Pentagon's shoulders with a splash, only gets a two count on Sky, and then Pentagon sets up for the package pile driver. Phoenix climbs to the top for the double foot stomp, but is stopped by Kazarian, allowing Scorpio Sky to use an inside cradle and pin Pentagon in 12 minutes and 37 seconds as they celebrate. And uh, yeah, maybe a surprising end. But they went okay, with Kazarian and Scorpio Sky here. They celebrate, and I'm not exactly sure what, what might have happened on TNT, but I was watching on TSN, and it just cut out, like, 15 seconds after that pinfall. Like, they were, they seemed to be cutting it really close to the end here. No what was the last it. thing you heard? They held the belt up, and then, seriously, it was just, like, my feed cut off. Because oh, I, cause I, heard, I heard Jim Ross, do, and again, for the last 40 minutes, there's been no Tony Schiavone. Uh, Ross does his sign off and says, we'll see you in Charlotte next week. And then out of nowhere, we hear Shivani, I see you. And that's how the show ended for me. That might've been it too. But how long after the the finish was it? Um, 60 seconds. Oh, okay, pretty quick. Really? So then maybe it was a, a bit, a bit longer than, than I thought watching on TV than, than the app itself. Maybe were you watching on delay? Maybe your thing cut off at 10 and maybe they went like 30 no. seconds over. I was watching the live feed off of the TSN mm. go go app so oh okay i was watching on tv i don't know if it made any difference but i did was there an overrun i I just i suppose yeah possible um but i just i'd laugh because shivani comes out of nowhere with scu and that's the last thing as they go off the air so shivani was there so maybe the guy was battling his uh his voice but um I, i thought a phenomenal performance from ray phoenix in this match um I don't think it's like the best tag match that they had um, or have had in the last couple of weeks on this show, um, particularly Kazarian and Sky, who have just had some tremendous tournament matches so far. But um, yeah, I really thought Phoenix was the star of this match. He was just outstanding. I think the grandeur of the the moment of like, you know, new tag team champions being presented in AEW, AEW might have been uh, unfortunately lost due to like sort of the 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 timing of the show 
I yeah. at least I, I didn't get entrances. I don't know if you got it on your feed. No, no, they were just in the ring when we came back from break. Yeah, so I don't think the atmosphere was necessarily there. And to me, it did feel like the the rest of the match many in many moments was a little bit rushed. But I think they did the best job that they could with the time that they were given. Certainly, like when you're going to be as organic as like you are with a thing like that press conference, uh, or like you know a Moxley promo, or maybe even some of these matches, like the main event's going to often be the casualty. Um, but I thought they did as best of a job as they could, but I'm with you. I don't think it was necessarily one of the better matches of either team. Um, I was surprised by the finish. I thought Lucha Brothers Brothers would have won, but I think SCU are very worthy champions. And it tells you that their potential in AEW, they're not just here to be curtain jerkers. You know, they're here to be a top team as well. So I look forward to the bigger story that they're going to tell with uh, Chris Daniels too. Yeah, there's a good story there of Daniels coming back and the other two, like the replacement won the titles and mm-hmm. um, many different directions you can go there. You could do the, the free birds rule with them, or it could just be, well, no, we're the tag champions and Daniels is the odd man out. And that could build uh, something from there. Uh, interesting ways you can go. I will say one little thing, and maybe it's, it's too much nitpicking, but given the way they ended last week's broadcast with the time limit and the fact that this match started with it's a, it's quarter two, I think if you had just inserted a comment like, if we go past the top of the hour, we will be rolling and we will release this match in full tomorrow. Like, even though you're not going to do it, you cover your bases there because that's what they are trying to do. They are trying to have those attention to details. Mm -hmm. So I think you should just explain, like, what if we get the same outcome as last week where they don't get a finish and what happens to this tag title situation where there has to be a winner and just putting a sentence in there gives you the notion that, Oh, they've thought about this and they're explaining to me what happens in this scenario. Even if you don't, you're not going to have to do it. You've given people, um, the backup plan, right? Is TV time limit to be expected for every match? That's not, no. well, this one I'm saying there, there probably wasn't a time limit because it's, The title match. So if we're at ten o'clock, we have to go off the air. So what right. happens then? But I mean, and, I, I mean, outside of this match, are we to expect TV time limit for for all AEW main events, or was last week a special case? No, you'll probably always have. They always announce the time limit at the beginning, unless it's a. Do they special say TV time limit, or, or or is it just like twenty minutes? They like they said prior to last week for the main event that it's uh, TV time remaining. Right. Okay. So. Hmm. Interesting. Um. So anyway. Um. One final thing, we didn't talk about it on this show. Uh, they did announce on Wednesday the stipulation they're adding to the title match with Jericho and Cody having three judges ringside. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in the event that they go 60 minutes, they will go to the judges' scorecards. Um, this is, you know, an old trope that they, they utilized in, uh, in the NWA, in WCW. Uh, do you like this idea? And, uh, just yes or no. Are you a fan of yes. the idea? Because I heard a lot of negativity towards this, and I'm sort of I, – I more or less want to see what they do with it before condemn it. So let me ask those same people. Would you rather have the promise of uh, judges in the event of a 60-minute time limit draw, or would you rather have in big sentence, capital letters, there will be a finish to this match, whatever they're promising? In Hey, we haven't seen Crown Jewel yet. There could be judges there for that exact reason. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, it'd be ra- the rabbit. Judge Cecil Peoples scores at 10-9, fiend. Oh, my God. Maybe MB- he didn't use leg kicks, though. Oh, Jesus. Um, I I think any type of, like, new attempts that 
I mean, really, an old, a new attempt at doing something old is, to me, refreshing at this point in 2019 because we haven't seen it. I think it's a promise that you will get a finish and a result either way. Like, what exactly are people complaining about? Well, I think after last week and you did that time limit draw, you do want to promise a winner to people. And again, this is – what they're doing is my exact point that I just made here. They're telling you that in the event this happens, this is how we announce the winner – and it's not necessarily saying they're going 60 minutes. It's only, for all we know, it's just going to be three legends brought out. They all get pops. And it's Arn Anderson. It's, you know, whoever they put there. They're mm-hmm. all going to get great reactions. And it's just, they're there. And that you're still going to probably get a finish. I don't foresee these two going 60. But it's just covering your bases. Like, uh, if this goes 60 minutes, this is how this will be adjudicated. So I'm not against it in theory. It's the execution of how they do it. I think if they actually, like when they do it, if they do go 60, like if the match does go 60 minutes and, and you have the, the 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 judges play a role, it may set the expectation that anytime you do one of these things, it's go, always going to go 60 minutes. To defeat that, maybe you just have this match end in like 40, you know, like, or even 30, like, so that you, you don't do it, so that you edu- condition the audience to not expect a judge's decision every time they announce a stipulation like this. All right. So that was dynamite. Um, overall thoughts on the show, you know, coming out of the show, I think um, it was an episode where I feel they addressed a lot of criticism of lack of promos and, you know, non in ring segments. I would say some of the, some of the prior episodes featured a lot of emphasis on bell to bell action. This to me was a show where that felt like a full show where they got outside of the arena. Tony and Cody in the limo. You had a great contract signing with a good beat down attached to it. Great Moxley promo to build to a Kenny match. Great Hangman po- promo. I thought that was nice and simple to build up to the pack match. Top to bottom, I really liked the show, including the cosplay. I, I think the the one week spot to me might have been the women's match, but it was still a good match. But just in the body of an otherwise really strong show, in my opinion. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch now that we have a few episodes to compare after the first month that, you know, this is not a show where they're going to do four or five angles in one show and none of them stick. They're going to do if they're going to do an angle, it's going to have substance to it. But we're doing one, whether it was tonight's beatdown of Dustin with the contract signing, the concession stand brawl last week, um, you know, even even the week they did that inner circle promo. That was the only promo you got on the show. It was them in the ring, and everyone raved about that. So it seems to be, and it is involving the main event of the next pay-per-view in all those instances. So they're reserving their angles for their top guys, and the idea that when the show's over, you're going to remember that angle because it was the only one. Yes, and everything else that you know might get some TV time devoted to it seems to be gearing towards something that already is going to be on the pay-per-view. So you know anybody who got some promo time was were people that were going to have a match at full gear. All right. We're going to head on over to the forum now and see what everybody had to say about tonight's episode on a scale of one to 10. Uh, this show has been performing very well on our forum and tonight gets a 7.43. So if I'm remembering right, I would say that would be maybe a bit on the lower end of ratings that we've gotten for dynamite five weeks in, but still, a respect, respectable I, number. I mean, I can tell you because the archivist has listed all these. Oh, of course. Uh, so the first episode drew from our board 
a 7.74. And then uh, October 9th, the second show did 8, 7.62, and then 8.03 last week. So this Okay, week so this would, would be the lowest. Would be the lowest one. But not by I a mean, lot. But it could change, of course. This is still somewhat early in the in the day. Well, this is the scientific data that we crave. Yeah. This is the, the, the only numbers that matter. Mm-hmm. The only ratings Forget that everyone should pay attention to. Gerard writes, the wrestling on this show was great once again, but I thought all of the angles were cliche. They are relying too much on the unsanctioned stipulation, and I thought the contract signing, while better than the average WWE contract signing, is still one of the more predictable types of angles in pro wrestling. Moxley's promo was great, though. Also, the tease of Ibushi holding the G1 trophy needs to mean something right. Um, so there you go. That is going to, I think, be some people's conclusion that you're teasing something that you have no ability to deliver right now. And I can see people certainly jumping to that conclusion based on that video. Sure, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was probably just Kenny asking his video game editing friend, hey, can you make something cool for me? And that's what they came up with. But yeah, I don't know. I Certainly, I don't see Kota Ibushi doing any type of work with uh, AEW. All right, you're up. We go to Noah from Vaughn who says, What an amazing promo from Moxley. I love the beatdown angle with Dustin and an unbelievable crowd in West Virginia. They got to make this a regular stop because in my opinion, this was one of the hottest crowds I've seen in a long time. I love the women's match. Both Shanna and Sheeta looked like stars and the Brandy promo was wicked. Question, since they ended the tag title match with the roll-up, do you see them doing a rematch at full gear? See, with the um, the Lucha Brothers, I could see them doing the rematch at full gear with Daniels involved in some way. Perhaps. Sure. Coming off the angle. Um, a roll-up isn't necessarily controversial. Like No, I- it's just the Lucha Brothers don't have anything set up beyond mm-hmm. SCU, so I could see them sticking with that, but... Yeah, you've got you've got a week to kind of set all this up. So you have one more show. And let's say you do the rematch. Do you have SCU beat the Lucha Brothers clean this time? Or do you have Daniels demand to be inserted into the match and he ends up losing the tag titles for Sky and Kazarian? That would be cool, actually. That'd be an interesting way to go about things. It would be. Hmm. McGuire, the Rock and Roll Express getting thrown through the stage was awesome. Is that guy okay? That Kip Sabian apron bump looked rough as hell. There were a lot of apron bumps on this show, I feel. Uh, The Cody-Tony limo scene felt like it went too long, but Jericho paid it off once again with his excellent might work. Kenny Omega with the Undertaker theme promo was cool, giving him personality. Sorry, Undertale. That's the name of the game? Yes. Sorry. Undertale theme promo was cool, giving him personality without having to talk. Even the librarian does well in his role as the stupid dork. It appears AEW can do no wrong through its first month on TV. Nine out of ten. We get a guy from Charlotte, North Carolina. Another week, another great episode of AEW. Simple and logical storylines, fantastic in-ring action, and stars you can actually enjoy rooting for. Wednesdays are awesome. Eight out of ten. And that's where the show is next week, in Charlotte. Oh, cool. Okay, another, guy, uh, if you're attending, please uh, leave some feedback. Yes. Jay from Colorado, I'm falling in, he's falling in live with wrestling all over again. Uh, And his wife hates it. I won't shut up about it. Every week before Dynamite, I say to myself, it can't stay this good forever. This has to be the week the quality drops, even just a little. And every week they've proven me wrong. This sounds like a promo you get outside the arena and just air on the broadcast. Uh, The Moxley promo was fantastic. The Dustin Rhodes beatdown was enthralling. The contract signing was must-see TV, and the tag main event was beyond what I expected. Guys, I just can't gush enough about this show. Still not digging Leva Bates, though. 
<laughs> the most positive person in the world, and he just can't get over Leva Bates. Uh, also, this was a lesson in how to do cross-promotion. I hate cross-promotion, and while I enjoy Rick and Morty, I'm not necessarily someone who wants to see it in wrestling. Tonight, they did the cross-promotion perfectly. It was present, but not obnoxious. Oh, and in case anyone is wondering, Kenny was dressed as Sans from the video game Undertale. Had to ask my daughter to identify it for me. God, I wish every day could be Wednesday. <laughs> that was the most happiest person I've ever heard from in our uh, history of feedback. We go to Mr. Mulligan who says, Good evening, gentlemen. Tonight's Dynamite was a solid showing overall. I wasn't thrilled by the Hangman match. I don't know if it was my TV, but it didn't seem fast enough. <laughs> yeah, maybe your TV was presenting the match in slow motion. Uh, but he says, I don't think Sammy and Paige meshed well, but it's likely they were having an off night. The women's match was okay, better than the last few I've seen on AEW. I'm not sure Kenny and the Bucks costumes got over with the mainstream crowd, but I enjoyed the Undertale and Street Fighter cosplay, even if it was done before. We waited this long for a live Moxley promo, and he did not disappoint. The anger, the passion, he says he is unhinged, and it shows. I enjoyed the main event, but there is something about the finish I didn't like. It just didn't feel like a holistic roll-up, if that makes sense. The highlight for me was the Cody Jericho segment and the inner circle in general. This is the kind of heel work I love. After last week and Cody's heroic charge to take out the inner circle, the heels get their win by being sneaky, underhanded villains, misdirecting Cody and Santana and Ortiz, getting one over the Bucks. 7 out of 10 show for me. All right. Uh, We get uh, some live feedback from someone that attended the show from Jeremy. I'm writing this from my seat during AEW Dark. MJF is a guest on commentary during Dark this week. Yeah, it's, it's MJF and Excalibur, I believe, this week, which probably be pretty entertaining. Cool, cool. Yeah, they've been exchanging people. Taz was a guest two weeks ago. Uh, Jim Ross was this past week. So, interesting. Uh, so, on Dark, Sean Spears beat Michael Nakazawa. Ali and Sadie Gibbs won a tag match. And now Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt are taking on Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela. Okay, so those are the dark matches. Uh, today has been an amazing WrestleMania-esque day in my hometown. Indie shows during the day with the big company show at night. Rest easy, Ace Austin retained his X Division title during the indie show, and Gregory Iron had another amazing match. After not having a wrestling company shoot a show here in 19 years, everyone seemed to be hyped. Much more than WWE house shows I've seen in this same arena. Hope it translated over the air. The building was about two-thirds full. The Cody airplane and limo segments brought back memories of the show 19 years ago here, my first wrestling show, as there were similar segments with Goldberg on the 2000 episode of Nitro. During the pre-show, AEW Dark, Ricky Morton came out of the tunnel next to me and took a picture with the ring and stage in the background. Marvez was also with him. Ricky seemed to love being in this arena. After the show, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega came out and threw some t-shirts into the crowd. One person had an inner circle sign and an actual circle in it. Matt said if he made it through the circle with a t-shirt, AEW would come back to Charleston for a pay-per-view. He missed twice and (laughs) then had the guy walk up to the ring with the sign so he could make it. They sounded very happy with the crowd. They also said the last pay-per-view at the building was WCW sold out 99, that their pay-per-view would be much better, and they expected to be sold out. Anyway, a 19 out of 10 show. The 9 was the rating, and the 10 was for AEW showing up. Yes, another weak WWE backstage jab. I don't really get get the reference to, to WWE backstage. 
I haven't seen Batman. Oh, oh, oh I, now I get it. Now I get it. Now I get it. It's oh, a, that's right. That's right. Christian's math, math, right? <laughs> Christian's nineteen. That's out right. Of 10. That's right. I do get that <laughs> reference. Uh, well, uh, it sounds like Jeremy is incredibly grateful that you know he got the show um, in in his town. So congratulations! It sounded like you had a great time. And thank do you. you the, do you remember the main event of WCW sold out ninety nine? Oh God, no! Are you kidding me? What? It's a ladder match between Scott Hall and Bill Goldberg. Great. Awesome. Well, um, I'll go and dig that one up right don't. Uh, right after this. Just don't. It's not a good pay-per-view. You know, I, I love the fact that Jeremy, like, you know, mentioned what, what was taking place after the, the, the show because they've been airing these clips of, like, the the elite basically back, you know, in, in the arena after the show goes off the air. Um, they showed a good portion of it on being the elite this past week, and they're making it look like the most fun, like, thing ever. It's just, like... They're just interacting with the crowd, like they're throwing their their clothes into the audience. Like, um, Cody's like throwing his own tie. It's just I'm not making it sound that that much fun, but it's fun to watch. They're and making I, it feel like, hey, it's a party here. You want to be part of this crowd. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a fun environment to be in, and that's a huge selling point to wanting to see a. Uh, the show come to your town and, and buying a ticket to see it. So I think yeah. they're, um, I love the yeah, fact they're that definitely they're definitely getting that fan experience across. Yeah. I love the fact that they're airing it. I mean, it, it has very much the same type of feel as you remember when they were like doing all these like crashing, like indie shows. And then it would yes. be like Cody cutting like a big long promo. You're there. They seem to be giving the impression that you, you might get that at every single town that these guys go to. And, uh, you know, whether or not, um, you even go. It's fun to watch on, on these uh, on YouTube. When do you think they'll do a pay per view in Charleston, West Virginia? <laughs> well, did they, they get the shirt in or not? They did. Uh, he, he did throw it in at the end. I feel they're going to uh, promise everybody a pay per view. Perhaps Cody's yeah. already promised Atlanta. They now promised Charleston. Tony Khan the said UK? that every Memorial Day will be in Vegas and every All In will be in Chicago. They're gonna have Only to so do many a lot. Pay-per-views. Yeah, they're gonna have to do a lot more pay-per-views. So, at some point, maybe. Uh, okay, we got a Ryan from Parts Unknown who says, "Well, that show had the first segment that I was bored by. The Tony Cody limo scene just dragged for me. The rest of the show was pretty good. I assume they called an audible on the SCU Lucha Brothers match after Kazarian gave himself a concussion. Roll up is better than him injuring himself. Um, I wonder. I wonder. I don't know. Like the guy took a table bump after, so." I would hope he's not concussed, but didn't look fun. All right. Last one here is Brandon from Oshawa. What a crowd. I think they definitely earned themselves some future shows after tonight. They made everything feel hot. It was a very good crowd tonight. Um, I started the show a little late and was going to fast forward the women's match. I'm glad I didn't because it was one of the better ones so far. Loved the attack on the Rock and Roll Express. The contract signing and Moxley promos were fantastic. My one negative was the finish of the tag match. I did not like how it ended, and I don't like that SCU won. I don't expect a long reign for them. Love the video that Kenny played coming out. At first, I thought it was a promo for a debuting heel, which made me think this kind of promo would be good in the future to tease a future feud for Kenny. Different stuff like this always adds some intrigue. So it seemed like uh, mixed results on the Kenny Omega video tonight. Some in favor, some not, and contrary opinions about the main event. But I, I, I will defy anyone. Uh, I love those limo segments with Tony and Cody. I thought they were great. Uh, always fun to discuss. Yeah. I mean, some people like video game entrances. Some people like, you know, um, 
divorces on their TV uh, until people hate everything. So I'm I'm not arguing to divorce video game entrances from professional wrestling. Ooh, uh, video, a video game about divorce. There you go. That'll yeah. be fresh. There you hmm. go. Yeah. Um, before we get out of here, uh, just some quick thoughts. Uh, first on NWA Power episode four. This featured uh, a slew of matches. We got a no disqualification tag match. We got uh, a main event six man where that was like the big thing they built up to where. We set up a team with Nick Aldis, Colt Cabana, and Mr. Anderson against James Storm and the Wild Cards, where if Nick Aldis' team won, Colt Cabana would get his national title shot against Storm, and if Storm won, he would get a shot at the NWA title, but in order to get that title shot, he also have to, has to abdicate his national title. So they put quite a lot into this main event. I love the fact that you know they made a stipulation for if... James Storm won, you know, that was of equal value to, you know, Nick Aldis putting up his title shot. It just kind of lets you really be unsure about what what the result was. Um, I will say I feel like I don't know why Eli Drake was there in that opening segment um, and not like, you know, the uh, the wild card or, or Mr. Anderson. I know they said we're going to find some friends in the back, but like, why was Eli Drake there? I you know what? I didn't even realize that. That's a great point. The whole opening segment is, yeah, you've got Eli Drake out here. And then uh, unless there it it plays into something where Aldis didn't pick Eli Drake. Um, I mean, it would perhaps make sense if we knew that, you know, I don't know, they were friends or something. But even if they were friends, like, why wouldn't James Storm have, have chosen him? I, I think, you know, in these first Drake was the one pushing for James Storm to defend the title against yeah. Cabana. So, so you, uh, it, it could be something that 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 does pay off with 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 Drake. We'll see. Yeah, They've I been pretty good so. about um, stuff like that. But we'll see. That I, That is a good point that I didn't even register watching. I think in the first several episodes, I, I haven't necessarily gotten a great sense of, like, who's friends with who. And certainly, like, somebody like Cole Cabana falls into that category because last, like, he started off with, what, Ken Anderson, was it? And then, and then like, last week he was, like, doing stuff with Josephus, almost, like, playing with Josephus until Josephus turned on him. And then this week he's, like, siding with Aldis. So, um, maybe he, it's just, like, oh, all the baby faces must hang out with each other. But I guess I haven't, I don't have a great sense of, like, who that is yet. And, you know, so that part I found a, a little bit confusing. Um. I think that the crowd is starting to really get into Aaron Stevens. I think they kind of understand what the character is now that you may not have had week one, but between the movie trailer last week and, you know, he plays his promos are very much interactive and playing off the audience. And I think they really are starting to get into him now as a heel. Mm -hmm. I sometimes so. forget that like this guy at one time was just like, you know, on like a Rusev day level with his like, you know, um, Sandow, uh, Mizdow stuff. Yep. Like I for we forget that this dude is actually a really talented funny person and yep. I think hopefully in NWA like this is where he could really shine and showcase himself and get to that stage again. I really like Ricky Starks. Like I think he's becoming a standout guy uh, <laughs> on these shows. But the slap uh the slap, yeah, but just like in ring, I think he's great. He's got great, you know, um charisma, I I would say. Um sounds really good like at the podium. So, I I like him a lot. Yeah. Um I also I I'm continually impressed with Allison K on this show. I think she's yes. a really great um good presence. champion for for the for the women's division and they did a match with Marty Bell and Ashley Vox. 
again, like all the matches are super quick. It's it's really hard to kind of uh, grade any of these matches because they're just very quick wrestling matches, and it's more so the the story before and after that sets up these matches. But um, Allison K just has a really great presence about her. Yeah, yeah, she really works. I mean, she she talks with so much confidence, I, and I can really buy it. I was surprised that they gave Ashley Box the win after we just saw her lose to Allison mm-hmm. K. But I mean, that that surprise is good too. You know, they certainly led you to to believe that Marty Bell was going to win. But um, is there an interest in a rematch for with Ashley Box? You know, on TV, if it's just on YouTube, does it really matter? But I'm not so sure. But um, at least you know you would know who Ashley Box is after this. Yeah. So what's interesting is that, so I think they, it'll work out. It's, it's like seven or eight episodes, I think is what this is going to work out to. And then the remaining weeks, there's going to be 10 pounds of gold episodes leading into the pay-per-view on December 14th. So wait a second. What do you mean? So eight episodes before the pay-per-view you mean, and then 10 pounds of gold in between. I, I I don't think it's an exact, like the, the episodes are not going to air or, or sorry, are, they're not going to end the week of the pay-per-view. I think there's a gap there of a week or two. And they're not doing more tapings? Not till after the pay-per-view. Right. So, so, so 10 pounds of gold will take the place potentially of... Well, this is, this is episode four. So next week we'll get... If we have eight episodes, that means one, two, three. That would mean the last one would be November 26th, which would leave you two weeks, two Tuesdays before the pay-per-view. So okay. those weeks, it sounds like they'll put uh, special episodes of 10 pounds of gold building up your big match or big matches for the pay-per-view on the 14th. Okay. So we're already like halfway through this run. Yeah, that's interesting timing of that pay-per-view. You'd figure they would, you know, time it to run at the end of the episodes weekly. But maybe this 10 pounds of gold will might be a big deal. I mean, they, they had two days. And if you get eight episodes, like that's yeah. – it is a lot. It is a lot For to sure. tape. So. I think you can sort of tell, like, I don't know when exactly some of these matches were taped, but it does make you wonder, like, you know, much like we saw with NXT or any sort of taped show, how much of, like, that wear would 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 get on the crowd after, like, four hours, five hours. Yeah, and I'm not sure um, what the breakup was of, you know, day one, day two of the tapings. Like, if, if, the, if we're watching all of this in order, then you would think that next week would probably be the second day of tapings as opposed to being the whatever hour it was on the, on the first day. And yeah, it's interesting. Like to me, the crowd has like largely been pretty interactive in, in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting to, to watch. Um, did you get to see any of impact on Tuesday? I did. Yeah. What did you think about just in terms of a show that they had built up to launch on access with the hope that, you know, maybe some, lapsed viewers would come back to check this out you being a primary example of someone that wasn't watching impact every week how did you feel they handled just catching you up to speed on what was going on and uh, getting your interest to make this something you would tune into on a regular basis Mm -hmm. i think you know it's interesting because like impact doesn't really just have to maybe compete with itself anymore if that makes sense they're now having to compete with I would say two very much talked about products on a Tuesday in AEW Dark and NWA Power. So at this point, you're you're asking yourself if I'm a a, a, a non fan, am I going to make two extra hours out of my Tuesday for Impact Wrestling when I'm already quite enjoying you know two other wrestling shows? 
And I think I found myself coming out of this episode feeling the answer is no. Like, I think they they really did try their best, but I don't think the look was very strong. I think it looked sort of like dark and cheap, you know, in that setting. The crowd didn't sound that great in Windsor here. Um, no, no. I thought I thought the crowd was a negative overall. And, you know, like, and when we say cheap, like, there are, there are probably more people here than NWA Power. But, like, NWA Power kind of makes the intimacy a draw in a unique yep. way. Whereas AEW Dark is almost the opposite. You're, you're getting a full AEW audience in an arena. So Impact itself finds itself somewhere in between. And, and really with production that tries to look big, but ultimately just comes across like it, it kind of falls short. Um, I think they did a good job, like, presenting its ongoing storylines. Mm, I suppose it just gets to the point where I ask myself, do I... Do I need it? You know, is it different enough that I, I need to, I'm going to be, you know, making time for it? I don't know. Certainly, I, I like the main event a whole lot. And I think ending it with Tessa Blanchard, I think there should have definitely been a lot more Tessa Blanchard on this show. She, to me, is like the biggest star. She's the their star. Yep. And, yep. you know, I understand saving her for like, you know, coming out at the end to, to have that inter- interaction with Sammy. It wasn't enough. I would have like liked to have seen her. You know, in a, in a really strong match in a big showcase, um, and, and just you know see see more character from work from her in general. I loved Moose. I thought he was spectacular. He was awesome. He he's been doing this for like the last month or so oh, with like just great. promos that have been. He's great. He was if you didn't see it, he's coming off the Ken Shamrock win, so he's on the golf course to prove he is a multi sport athlete. After mm. leaving the NFL and making the easy transition to pro wrestling. And after beating Ken Shamrock, I've proven I'm also the best MMA fighter in the world. And then he just chucks the ball and he's going to uh, – or sorry, he does swing and he's going to hit a hole in one. And he ends up roughing up these old guys on the green and just throws his ball into the – you had to see it because he, he was great. It was really stupid, but I think he, like his cockiness really makes it not as big of a fan of you know the, the Rascals or what they're doing with Sue Young. Um, I thought some of those segments dragged. And or was just you know not the seventies like, one. I I think the guys do a really good job with it, but it's a you either love or hate those those segments. They've been doing those for a while. What did you think about the Rob Van Dam promo? This was his first heel promo since the turn at Bound for Glory, uh, where he's in like this pool uh, with his girlfriend Katie Forbes. Yeah, took aim at at the Bucks and Kenny Omega and and did he say Daniel Bryan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He I said, don't know about I, Daniel Bryan. They all um, stole his moves, and he was doing all this before them, and he gets no credit. Yeah, I don't know. Is Daniel like what? What moves do you think Daniel Bryan stole from RVD? Yeah, like, I don't. I don't Terminator? think Van Dam was ever uh, using cattle mutilation. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, I I think it gets people talking. I saw it posted on Reddit, you know. So I, I I'm interested in this RVD heel RVD. Like certainly, if you've been following him on social media, he's very much like. <laughs> He's playing the character. Like, he's, he's playing it up. He's been playing this heel, I would say, for quite a while now, where he's just on a bit of a... I I would term it midlife crisis, uh, following, I guess, a pretty public divorce and having two girlfriends by his side all the time. But um, it's entertaining. It's getting people talking about him. So I, I'm at least curious, I, I, I you know, of what do, he Do you do. remember when we, when we met them at, uh, at Wally Mania? The two... Not, the, two not both girlfriends. He walked in... With uh, Katie Forbes, and I was just standing there, and he just turned to me. He's like, "Hey, he's like, hey, Rob." 
<laughs> I don't How remember. Was it? it was a very quick interaction. Oh. I thought you were with me, but anyway. Um, um, Shamrock and uh, what we predicted, John. Joey Ryan. Yeah, what, 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 what we predicted. Um, <laughs> so Ken Shamrock is going to do a match with Joey Ryan next week, which the clip has already gotten out there. It's clear what they are going for here. And... Yeah, it's uh it's a direction. Like they Impact is looking at all the buttons to push whether it is Joey Ryan, uh intergender wrestling. Like they they just want to go in all those directions because I, I think they're just trying to see what sticks and how can we differentiate ourselves and do stuff that others are unwilling or just won't do. Um that that's part of it for them is just gaining that kind of attention whether it's um Good attention, bad attention, that's what they're going for. And in the case of, you know, the intergender stuff, I think they've done a very good job with it, in particular with, with Tessa Blanchard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um Yeah, Joey Ryan Shamrock, I think it's just one of those like spec- spectacle things that really gets you curious about what it might look like. And, you know, it's Ken Shamrock selling for the dick flip, which I think is hilarious. Um Yeah. What did you think of the wrestling on the show? Um I, I was disappointed with the opener because I was really looking forward to the uh, uh, Naomichi Marafuji Josh Alexander match. I just thought like these guys could really just tear it up, and they they had like nine and a half minutes, and it was just I don't know, it was an average match in front of a lackluster crowd, and it just didn't really um, hit my expectation level. The wrestling really. You know, the street fight with Ace Austin and Eddie Edwards, it had that depressing feel at the beginning where they're hitting each other with weapons and no one's reacting. And then towards the end, you could see the crowd had gotten into Eddie Edwards. But even as they're cheering, you can see that they're louder than they sound on TV. So mm-hmm. I don't really blame the crowd as much as how it was miked, at least for that match. Um, but I thought they worked hard. By the end, they had the crowd. Um Callahan and Cage didn't have a match at the level of their pay-per-view match, but they also had a lot less time. They had to have a commercial break in there, but they have very good chemistry together. And um, the ending was very good with Callahan winning and then doing the face-off with Tessa. But I just thought it was a very long two hours. Um, I just thought like this was it, – it, it just felt very long to me. Like it took me quite a bit to get through this. Did you feel like it was a strong re-debut or do you think it was enough for a re-debut for a new audience? Um, by the time this show was over, like I, I, I've been watching Impact pretty religiously for the last month or two. But I just, I just can't imagine putting aside two hours every Tuesday night to watch this. Like I'll do my best to get to it later in the week. But I can't imagine on Tuesdays spending two hours on this. I think that's a lot. That's a long time to um, have on the show and I would say if you were just coming back to sample it um, I don't I don't know if it necessarily did enough to make this part of your to add two hours if you're a wrestling fan already watching several programs to add another two hours I think that's I think most people's plates are full so you got to have something really dynamic and I think with impact you're going to have people will tune in out of curiosity for certain matches or if they hear a lot of buzz about something but uh, in terms of two hours every Tuesday, I think that's a tough ask right now. It's 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 really diff- difficult, and I, I almost have like a lot of sympathy because you could tell these people are all doing their best, trying their best to create, you know, uh, their best type of wrestling show in the way that they know how. But the market has just gotten so much more difficult right yeah. now, and it's it, a crowded, crowded market, marketplace, but especially a, even a Tuesday. Um, so it, I think it, it still has to continue to find its magic. All right, so there you go. Uh, 
anything on AEW Dark? I did not see Dark. I, I only happened to catch uh, the MJF segment um, and a bit of the main event, so I can't really comment on too much All right. else. No problem. We have uh, we have gone lengthy on this Wednesday night. So thanks to everybody for listening. We also have Up Next already up on the site with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. So you can go check that out for a full rundown of NXT. And they're starting to build up War Games for November with a match announcement. Ooh, Are you aware of the match already? No, no, I have not. Seen they're going to do a women's War Games match. Oh, cool. So cool. How's, it, um, how's that going to work? So they had, there were nine women out there. It was... Shayna Baszler, Jessamine Duke, Marina Shafir, then you had Io Shirai, Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, and Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai. So you had the nine women out, and Regal just announced War Games, and with nine people, that would suggest it's going to be three teams of three, but I... I haven't watched the show, so I don't know if they made it clear what the format's going to be, but with the nine women out there, I guess that's what they're going to do. Interesting, okay. Which yeah. I kind of, I I guess you have that number of people, so, like, Baszler, Duke, and Shafir, that makes sense, I guess. It's just uh, fit, fitting in, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the three teams of three, but in this sense, you have nine women that are all kind of central to this story so i guess that's your only option it's i think it's it's as much for like sort of the curiosity and uh, and you know the 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 announcement that it's like a first time ever as as it is anything else and you know i would say like some of those talents are like pretty young so like they certainly have their work cut up for them for i think the expectation level of of a war games match and i'm curious to see it yeah, it's it's an interesting match because you have varying levels of um, experience in there. Like you have mm-hmm. saw like Io Shirai and Candice LeRae and Shayna Baszler. And how much experience do any of those people have though in like this type of setting? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a totally different setting for the majority of them. Um, it's an it's an interesting match of how they put it together, but I'm sure it's going to be one that is uh, heavily um, oh, well well laid out, and you know you should have another dynamite takeover crowd as well but that interesting to see if that's positioned as the main event um and what else and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves because maybe more was announced on nxt that we haven't seen yet so uh we'll catch up on that thursday night 11 eastern that is open to all members of the post wrestling cafe if you want to join you can tune in live and we'll be taking calls as long as the phone is ringing so we look forward to speaking with all of you thursday night uh, postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and that is it. Goodbye. Uh, very quickly, John. Oh. Uh, we forgot to mention it off the top, but thank you so much to Jacob Chestnut for uh, gracing us with with your wonderful music off the top of the show. I've gotten also a lot of requests, John, from various people wanting us to play out the podcast with our runner-up, and I'm going to play it at the very least on this particular episode and maybe a few more in the future, but... Here you go, Chris and Dasha. Stand up, it's time to fight. It's Wednesday night. Rewind the dynamite. Your fighting spirit and your might. Leap and take flight. Sky high, Luchasaurus high. Scream, cheer, rejoice and sing. Hear the blurring. What a will tonight show bring. Everyone is listening to Post Wrestling. With John Pollock and waiting. They've got the fuse. You've got the light. Hit the switch on TNT and rewind a dynamite.